Recorded in the comfy confines of the Auto Media Group Studios, we bring you the Get Deep Podcast, part of the Connect Podcast Network. Join friends and business owners Aaron Jones and Wes Otto as they bring forth stories of guests who are movers and shakers in their industries and beyond. Did you ever consider stand-up comedy? Or I'm did not, you do I'm not that funny. I'm just quirky. I guess that's I mean, a, way to, a good way to look at it. If you come up with a routine that was memorized, you know, and which a lot of them do, you know, they have their same kind of, yeah. and then they'll have audience input and they'll be able to work on their feet real fast, which yep. I can do, but never really thought about that. It scares the shit out of me thinking about that. But a lot of people that still do it, it scares the shit out of them every time they go up there, but they just do it. They push themselves into those positions and situations. Mm-hmm. I've watched, you know, I think of fair amount of different circumstances. You have a good presence and you two, your chemistry, because it's hard to engage people. That's the one thing is you listen to a lot of different, speak- <laughs> lot of different speakers. It was the uh, perfect moment. <laughs> yeah. had to hold hands. But it, it, it's, not, it's not easy to drag. I shouldn't say drag, but to get people to talk right. either about themselves. Some people like talking about themselves, but most people, I think, are a little uncomfortable when you want to talk about them. Sure. So for you guys to dig as deep... And, and I'm a firm believer, I want to listen to enough stories. Some I wanted to listen to anyways, but I wanted to understand, you know, how this can go well. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be the one that's like, well, <laughs> you know, we've had a lot of success here at uh, Get Deep Podcast. Wittenberg, on the other hand, said a new low. We listened yeah. to Dave's episode. You should have just erased that whole fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the pro tip is stories. Whenever you can, yeah. if you can bring out stories, whether they're personal Same. or yeah. industry related, people just love stories. You really can't go it's wrong. It's true. And even if you so. think they're boring stories or they're not relevant, typically there's always a nugget of something in there that people like. Some um, people are just great storytellers. They really are. That's actually Some a gift. Are. I mean, you know, as you go through life, you, yeah. you listen to certain people and you're just like, Wow. Now that person can tell a great story. You just want them to narrate your favorite book. (laughs) Kind of, because they got the voice, they got the inflections, all the things, but it's great. Yep. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Get Deep podcast tonight. We have Dave Wittenberg on with us. So thankful for him joining us and making time. Um, This podcast has been so much fun over the last year and a half to to, uh, talk to people that are local and evoke stories and... We're, we're pumped tonight to talk to you, Dave, and hear about your Thank history, you. your stories, and who My you pleasure. are, and yeah. all the things. Yeah. I have to say, I did. we always do a little bit of research. I'm always curious where is. you get your research, <laughs> I'll truthfully. You, I'll give you all the details, right? So, like, we, we come up with these sheets, right, that have mm-hmm. pretty much everything you can find on Google. That's it's your entire it's team behind you, right? Because, I mean, you guys are at that level now right. where you have Well, a, Susie, he's got some admin, puts this together. And actually, I'll, I'll just read the last line. Uh, of the research. It's a two-page research report. He used to play hockey. He is handsome. So it's very detailed. So, I mean, it really Actually, it's there. false on both fronts. I did not used to play hockey. You oh, didn't? No. no. And, oh. and most people would tell you, and I am certainly not handsome. Well, I wonder where she found that on Google. Because you got a, you, I think it was Tim Penny that needed a Wikipedia page editor. He did, yeah. You might need that. Well, and Susie likes to add her own notes in there. So Susie thinks you're handsome. Uh, I could tell you a story about hockey because I figured hockey was going to come up in the conversation only because of hockey day. Sure. Uh, but we'll get to that at some point. But it's it's kind of comical, the fact that I have, Mandy and I raised two boys that ended up playing hockey, never expecting, uh, truthfully, to have them be in the game, follow the game, all those things. So it's uh, 
that part of it is is interesting. <laughs> well, let's talk about that for a second because you know hockey comes up a lot, obviously in the community that we we live in, but yeah. also being hockey parents, and I have two really young kids. Sports are going to come down the, the pike eventually here, but what was it like having two kids in hockey? Was that just is crazy traveling to things? Cash wise, athletic you know, gear is people talk it's like about all the time. Most things that people talk about today, it's a it's not exactly how people describe it. And and it and it's okay because everyone's either hearing it from second hand or in an emotional state. And here's why I say that. So I grew up in Rochester, um, did want to play hockey, but my parents said, Hey, that's not for our family, Same. which hey, totally understand. Um, went to end up at the University of Minnesota eventually, was a season ticket holder, loved watching the game of hockey. So when we moved here to Mankato, eventually had kids. You know, for us, I was a soccer, uh, basketball, one time downhill skier, tennis player. So for us, it was like, hey, we got Mount Cato in our backyard. Like, we want skiers, or I want us, I want the boys to ski. So um, this is the story about hockey. Uh, we were, uh, Jack was probably six or so at the time. We had him in junior, uh, racing. We got him new skis for Christmas. The typical parent, like they're all in where actually the parents are all in the kids aren't. And I remember picking him up at the Hill and he was crying and I'm like, Oh, you know, did you have a tough fall? And Jack, our firstborn looked at me and said, Hey, I don't want to ski. You want me to ski? And he was like, and I, as a parent that hit home and i remember thinking oh wow you're one of those parents now so fast forward to the next year and he was also playing y basketball which you know we were fortunate to have a great ymca and mandy went to parker three years younger and said okay parker we're gonna we're gonna sign you up for y basketball and he he literally looked at mandy and was like i just want to play hockey and he's three jack six at the time and mandy i'll never forget it and she's in education she looks at me and she goes what are we gonna do and i said you know what, let's put him in it, you know, because we kind of want him to have their own story. Uh, and I said, he'll probably hate it. And the funny thing is, as soon as we we made that decision as a family, our oldest, Jack, said, well, if he's playing hockey, I want to play hockey. And we literally looked at each other and said, oh, my gosh, we are going to have two <laughs> boys in hockey. Um, long-winded response to the fact that, yeah, is hockey busy? Yes, but I would tell you today, all activities are extremely structured they are very busy. The hardest part as parents is be Larry the herd mentality. Like find your safe place of what they're good at, what they love to do, um, and know that with within reason they got to do other things. And so for us, it was always, it wasn't in, you know, they're going to be professional hockey players. It was, hey, they're boys. We need to keep them busy, you know, direct their energy. Um, they played three sports. Uh, they end up loving the game. Uh, both were good at it. Uh, but at the same time, it wasn't like we were destined to be a hockey family. And there are other sports out there in, in, you know, that are, I would say, busier, more expensive than hockey. Um, and for us in Minnesota, although we love winter, at least when your kids are playing hockey, you're in an inside facility. You kind of know what the temperature is going to be. You kinda, it's predictable. So it kept us busy uh, during you know, the slower season of winter. And, and we were just fortunate enough that they chose to, to play a game they love and still love. Um, so that was a little bit of the, the fun aspect of hosting Hockey Day in Minnesota was that both got to participate in different ways. But it was something that meant a lot to our family because for us it was always, and my wife's a lot better person than I'll ever be, it, it was a medium through which they learned about life. So it wasn't just that it was hockey. It was, hey, adversity, 
you're not the best player. Uh, it's competitive. It's mm-hmm. team oriented. It was all these other things that they could have been doing so many other things with, but it just happened to be hockey. Yeah, I think sports are so important. And since we're talking about hockey, I feel like it's just appropriate to, to talk about Hockey Day Minnesota uh, and what that was and what it meant to to Mankato having that. And you were a huge part of the success of that. I know you guys had a wonderful team. And if you want to name some people, feel free. But You were the uh, co-chair, right? I was. Yep. Organizing committee. I yeah. was. Yeah, I mean, what initially we- reluctantly, but <laughs> at the same time, knowing it was it was the right time. It was the, it was for sure. If it was ever going to go to Southern Minnesota, that's where I became very proud. And I'm a roster kid, so it's a Southern Minnesota community too. I said, no, we are a Division One hockey community. Uh, we are a hockey town. We deserve, and we are going to host us in a way that you know others will look at us and say, wow. And so. Um, I was reluctant in the beginning. And so, yes, there, to your point, Aaron, there were a lot of people along the way. Um, the real story goes back a number of years actually before that. And um, GMG actually had Main Kiddo Sports Commission. If you look back in the history, oh, yeah. they initially were trying to figure out how to bring structure around um, sports, which, I, you know, again, great idea. You know, I think there was some vision initially with it. And, and I remember kicking around ideas of what are some other activities we can do. Uh, and you know, we were talking offline a little bit about sometimes, you know, there are organizations that are well-suited to host something as prevalent or significant as that. And I wasn't confident of that. Honestly, Jonathan Zierd asked me to become chair of the Mankato sports commission to bring some other structure around it. Um, it got brought up. I was not confident that it could be hosted in a meaningful way at that time with, uh, the visit Mankato that was in place at that time. And so Darren Blue, uh, you know, I would say the Darren Blue, the, the biggest hockey ambassador of our community, uh, came to me, actually asked me to go out for drinks one night and said, hey, Woody, I, th- I think we should do Hockey Day. And I said, yeah, yeah, right. Like, you realize the significance of that. And he's just looked at me and said, no, I'm serious. I, I think they're, you know, going to consider us under Minnesota community. You know, we need to do this. And I thought to myself, here's a guy that's pretty unselfish, truthfully, and and has loved the game, is coming to me and asking about it. And I said, yeah, I'm willing to have a conversation. And so we met with uh, Wayne Peterson, who was uh, the director of community um, relations activities for the Minnesota Wild at the time, um, and Dan Myers, who was actually working at the, the, the Wild at the time, both MSU graduates, which is kind of the, the cool tie-in, if you will, and we met at the TAV. I remember it was in an April. Uh, I lose track of the years just because of COVID. But I remember them talking and saying, you know, how serious are you? And they're kind of questioning, like, can you really pull this off? And, and you know, I was asking some hard questions and thinking about it. I'd been to St. Cloud with my family. So we had gone up to Hockey Day in St. Cloud. It was the first time they had a village. Uh, MSU actually played indoors, the men. Um, which they beat St. Cloud State at the time, which was the number one team in the country, which, you know, pretty cool. That was kind of the, I would say, the beginning of this amazing run that we're still on. And and in talking to them, I, I came away thinking, why wouldn't we want to do this? Like, I think for the three of us and many others that have either been on here or listened to this, we're proud of this community. Like, this is, this is a special place. And hockey's not for everyone. I kept saying that, you know, because I have plenty of friends that kind of think I'm, you know, the crazy hockey guy, but it's like hockey's, again, a medium through which we can expose the entire state, maybe Midwest region to this amazing place we call Mankato. And if you're a visitor or you're trying to attract talent, why wouldn't we want to do that? 
Um, and so that's kind of where things started. I still was, re- you know, reluctant. And I say I loosely just because Louie kept asking me partly because of maybe some of the things I were, I was doing nonprofit wise, but, uh, so I kind of put it on the back burner and then I kept getting, uh, pinged by Dan Myers that said, uh, what do you think? What do you think? And I left the, the Mankato sports commission, got away from some of those things. Um, and then, you know, it kind of take, it, it took on a, a life of its own as we started looking at, is this something we're serious about? And, and ultimately I ran into Ryan Carter, you know, kind of the, the fame, one of the famous former Maverick hockey players, uh, played for the wild and, you know, had a great career. And he said, Hey, what are you guys going to get serious about this or not? And sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need that push to say, yeah, we better do this. And so, um, at the same time, concurrent with that, I don't think it would have happened as I look back and reflect frequently on, you know, what made it successful. If Hastings hadn't approached me and said, Hey, I, th- I think we need to create a second level of support for Maverick hockey called Friends of Maverick Hockey, and, and that's a different story, but he had come from um, uh, University of Nebraska-Omaha, the Mavericks. Uh, Dean Blaze, the Dean Blaze, had started an endeavor there in, in Omaha called Friends of Maverick Hockey, and it, and it was another way to raise funding and visibility of the program. And the reason why I bring that up is I got to know some people that were pretty passionate about our community, pretty pra- passionate about hockey, the the Michelle Schufs of the world, the Lindsey Bockers of the world. Melissa Bradley and I have known each other for a long time, and I will tell you, there's a special human being. And so, you know, she was reluctant to get involved, but she was somebody who was involved in Friends of Maverick Hockey. So we had this core group of people that I knew at the end of the day wanted to do it for all the right reasons, which is important too. Oh, yeah. And and so that's kind of, it was the confluence, if if you will, of, of Bluey kind of keep pressing, some people at the Wild, that, uh, you know, we're passionate about Mankato and then uh, Friends of Hockey and some of the talented people uh, uh, that we were able to bring around us. And Michelle ended up becoming my co-chair. Uh, she is amazing at optimizing revenue. And you talk about marketing and someone that's passionate. Um, I cannot say enough great things about her and, and what she brought to, to the table. It just seemed like a rock star team. You know, when I looked at I, most of the people on that committee, if not all of them, I'm aware of who they are, you know, maybe didn't know them at a super deep level, but aware of who they are and know that they were connected in the community. But I'll tell you, and I, and I didn't have much to do with, I didn't have anything to do with organizing any of it or it really even volunteering, but I did show up uh, to a couple of the days and I'll tell you that game against St. Thomas outdoor on that that snowy beautiful day i mean just how everything was put together that you guys did the logistics of it and we've heard a few pieces of information from Lindsay, and i heard through jesse because he's a client at the store mm-hmm. how much Lindsay was working on how she just like basically sun up to sundown and didn't see her for weeks on end sometimes you know basically um but what a what an amazing what an amazing event that you guys put on. I don't know if you can share any details or funny, yeah. funny stories about that whole process. <laughs> well, uh, but man. Uh, so I, one of the things I always try to say to our boys or people you can influence, I guess, is, you know, you're, you're the average of your closest people around you, or you're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with. And in some ways we were very intentional uh, about who we recruited. In other ways, we just kept, lucky honestly and and the reason why i say that is um the venue 
Lindsay Bacher. Her vision, what what she brought to the table, her passion and level of detail is unrivaled to the point of, you know, borderline like she owned it to the point where it was like a child and you better not disrupt it. And and that's a gift. Uh, and and then you have, you know, people that came down the road, you know, I already said, you know, the role Michelle Schuf has played, but Melissa Bradley keeping the glue together like risk management, thinking about you know, when you're taking on something like that, like where are you going to be exposed the most? Think about tickets. You think about insurance. You think about, you know, contracts. You think about things that no one will ever see. Yet, if they're not sacred, we're in big trouble. Like something could go seriously wrong. Uh, and then, you know, Danny Emhofer from RW Carlstrom. I mean, there's a lot of great contractors in our community, but I knew Danny because he had coached at the youth level. He had done the, the Snell Motors uh, dealership. What he meant to the ability to literally execute just the logistics of the site and bringing heating and electrical and building out the site. I mean, what people don't realize about Blakesley Field, it's, it's crowned. And I'm not just talking small. I mean, we're talking six inches. Well, if you're flooding a surface, you, we had to build a giant sandbox. I mean, one of the things that to this day still just makes me go, how did we really do that? is the site um, and, and what R.W. Carlson did. I mean, they dedicated so many people to making sure this went off in, in such a great way. But then, you know, and I know I'm going to miss somebody, and I just apologize in advance, but you take a Kate debates. Our social media was unreal. Like, we had people at the Minnesota Wild going, who's running your social? In fact, we got in trouble. Uh, side story. So they're pretty sacred about this hockey day, right? It's like their baby. Um and I'm not going to say this was perfect because I'm sure I'll, you know, might hear, but sometimes you got to ask for forgiveness, not permission. Um, and in this case, they weren't doing a great job of marketing, uh, truthfully. And the wild has got plenty of other activities. We totally got it. They had some disruption in their staffing and we weren't going to sit by. We were just like, you know what? We're dealing with COVID. We're dealing with other things. And, you know, that's another side story. But we, we were delayed by a year because of COVID. We were supposed to actually host a year prior and then COVID came on. And so we were fortunate enough that they said, yeah, we can wait a year. But um, but you had people like Kate Debates that just from a, from a marketing standpoint and the stories that we were able to share uh, to just as we went down the line to some MSU graduate students that came to a meeting and they do a lot of the, the hosting of uh, Maverick Hockey. And literally, they're the ones that deal with all the details. And so the one thing I knew was operationally, on Saturdays specifically, you have to program every single minute that they're on live television. Well, that means someone has to actually own that. And I'm thinking to myself, as you look around the room, you're like, I know what we're good at. Like this, and I kept saying to, to Missy, I'm like, we don't have somebody like this yet. So we go to this meeting with MSU uh, hockey, men and women, and all of a sudden this uh, Bailey shows up at this meeting and starts talking and I could just see how she owned the room as a graduate student. And I'm like, so I talked to her afterwards. I'm like, Missy, I went up and I was like, do you want to, do you want to just run, run our programming on Saturday? Do you, do you want to just own this piece of it? She's like, yeah, but if I can bring Rachel along. And so we just, we fell into some of these amazing, talented people. You know, we have this university and we have a number of them, but we have this amazing university with this incredible talent pool my biggest frustration at times, and I know Danny's talked about this, you know, internship capital of the world, 
but it's like, how do we not capture and keep that talent here in our community? So there were so many people like that uh, along the way that that made Hockey Day possible. Um, but there are some funny stories. I mean, there's, uh, and Lindsay will kill me, but I, I just remember, you know, Spencer Bradley and David Schuf, spouses of uh, some of our core people, they helped us move a lot of cattle gates and a lot of mats. I'm talking like probably the best shape those two have ever been in their life. But uh, I remember we were having to move some uh, cattle gates or guards for the ice crew because, you know, they're, it's Sam Boyne. They're maintaining the ice. And, and Lindsay came by and was so mad at us because we had disrupted her beautiful site, which is true. It was beautiful, but there was a reason for it. And so we laugh about it now, but it's everyone took such pride in what we were trying to pull off um, that uh, I, I still look back and think, wow, you know, how fortunate, you know, we had a, a number of things like COVID was terrible for so many different reasons, but because we were able to wait a year, the community was desperate for something, right? People were desperate to get outside or to do something and engage again. And um, we were fortunate enough to, to do it in a setting at MSU that was, in my opinion, unrivaled and, you know, may not be rivaled from a sightline standpoint. And, um, and so, you know, it was, uh, it was one of those, you know, just pretty, pretty proud moments. I was a very small part of a big endeavor that you know, our community can say great things about and so many volunteers that came together because Aaron, you said Saturday was like a snow globe and it on TV, they said literally it was like, you couldn't script it better, but behind the scenes we're freaking out because it's (laughs) snow removal. It's, you know, all sorts of things associated with the ice. The number of things that you have to consider when you're putting on a live event and then you add the pressure of live television, uh, you know, it's just insane. I can't even imagine just having to account for the variables. And think how stupid we were. And I say that kind of jokingly, but, you know, for us, it was all about community. And so, and I, and it was, Michelle was as passionate about this as I was. And I'm only saying it because I had two boys that came through the Youth Hockey Association, but this was all about the kids. So if you think about the mission of Hockey Day Minnesota is grow the game. So grow the game of hockey in Minnesota so we decided we're going to do that, and we're going to touch every facet of hockey that we possibly can uh, for anybody that's participated. So that meant eight days, eight days of programming. I think the longest hockey day at that time maybe had four, uh, four days of total programming. So um, it seemed like a great idea at the time, <laughs> but then you realize, you know, I remember two weeks before the, uh, the event was going to um, start in earnest, and we have 48 degrees in Minnesota, which for most of us who live in Minnesota, we're excited, right? It's balmy in January. And all I'm thinking is, how are we going to grow ice when it's 48 degrees yeah. out? Um, and so the Wednesday before the event was supposed to even start, our professional ice team, which was a major contract. I mean, it was significant. It's one of the requirements of hosting is having a professional refrigerated system. They came to us. We were at Johnny B's, and they said, okay, here's the deal. We are 60 hours behind you need to start canceling everything that you had scheduled for Sunday, which was going to be our big Maha, you know, youth hockey games. And I looked at them and I said, that's not going to happen. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, I, we don't work in an environment where you're going to say you can't do this. I work in an environment that says, here are things that need to happen in order for you to host. And as long as we do that, and yeah, I know we need to get a little bit of luck with some weather. um, We're going to do that. So, and they said, well, we got a big weather storm coming in Friday. 
it was supposed to start that Sunday. And, and remember, Hockey Day was actually the following Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I remember I got a, a text at 5 in the morning. It said, snow started early. We need you up here removing every single fleck of snow on the ice because the chemistry is such where it disrupts the ice making and it would destroy the ice. And all they care about is Saturday because truly, Valley Sports in the Wild, it's all about what's on television. They love the fact that the community wants to do other things, but for them, it's the Super Bowls on Saturday. So literally... I start calling and we put together a volunteer train. We had a hundred and some people from the community show up at like by 9 a.m. Cause school is canceled. I think it was, there's that much snow and we started shoveling until 9:45 that night. That was Friday before we even had set up. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a little bit like a wedding or any other big event. Most people don't know any of that and that's great. Yeah. But it you just shows, no, it just shows you the number of volunteers and, and the effort that went into, you know, hosting or hosting something as significant as this. And um, thankfully, the week got a little bit easier <laughs> as we went on. But I remember we kept having success, which was great. So every day, you know, we'd celebrate in, in our little headquarters, temporary headquarters, uh, uh, in a fish house, typical, <laughs> right? Um, brought to us by North Central International, which we were fortunate they were willing to do that for us. And literally... We'd sit there, we'd have a kind of a toast, a nightcap, uh, which my oldest son thought was pretty comical. And we'd talk about what went well, what didn't go well. And I remember we got to like Wednesday or Thursday that week and everyone's just, you know, or even maybe it was Friday and everyone just thinks, you know, we've made it. And I remember we haven't done anything yet. The Super Bowl is on Saturday. It's hockey day. Like this is what everyone's going to remember us by. Um, and we were just fortunate that that day started off beautiful, uh, incredible hockey, and and yes, it started snowing, and yes, we had to remove a ton of snow, but it, it just was, a, I guess, the reason I bring up all those things is uh, timing was super important. You need a few things to go the right way, and then you have these amazing partners and volunteers that just wanted it to be successful for the better of the community, and, and we were fortunate enough that that, that happened. Well, you had a, a ton of success with the event. Obviously, the community loved it, great attendance battled through a snowstorm. You raised some money too, which was a part of it that uh, I don't think we've touched on. How much money did you guys raise? So uh, I remember when we were looking at the original budget, uh, and I will answer that very specifically. Uh, You know, (laughs) you put a budget together. I mean, financially, so I come from a finance background. So by my nature, you need to make money. That's just who I am. Um, Yes, some activities are called lost leaders or you're investing and you're bringing people in the community. It's hard to judge that. But for me, it was like, no, we need to be financially successful. Melissa Bradley, again, uh, CFO, owner, operator, snow motors, amazing, talented woman. Uh, she had this spreadsheet that was her baby that she didn't want anyone touching, <laughs> but it literally, and in, in fact, I've been sharing pieces of that for other future hockey days. That's one of the kind of the, what we do to help each other. And I remember looking at it and thinking, I cannot believe how cool this is. I mean, I know I geek out about numbers, but um, I mean, we we knew kind of what we needed to sell tickets wise, what you know, where our biggest costs were, what we needed to cover. Um, we got so lucky. I mean, yeah, a lot of effort, so you create your own luck. But uh, ticket sales were phenomenal. Uh, you know, food and beverage was really good. Apparel. I mean, what Michelle Shu put together in partnership with Unreal, which is in our great story, you know, started here in, in Maine, Cato. Uh, we crushed literally every single 
budget item. I I didn't think it was possible. I thought, you know, we could we can do well in two or three areas. But I mean, I know our original budget was like if we did a million eight in gross revenue and maybe netted a hundred thousand dollars, like that's a home run. Literally a home run. It was better than any other any other hockey day ever. Uh we so surpassed that revenue wise. Yes, it was more expensive. We had some things that cost us a little more, but at the end of the day, when all the expenses were paid, we set up a permanent fund that still sits at the Man Carry Foundation that's around four hundred thirty thousand dollars net. Uh, which uh, that's this you know icing on the cake because uh, yes, it was an incredibly visible endeavor. Yes, so many people were exposed to the game. Yes, every child got a chance to play and got a jersey. And my wife has some great stories about teaching at Kennedy and these kids would come in wearing their jerseys like every day. They were so proud. But we have a permanent fund that we hope to give back into the community. And and there was an article in the paper today where I'm a big believer you got to create assets that attract people to want to come here and live and work and people that want to come here and visit. And and I think, you know, with the city, you know, blessing on ASA, they're going to invest in the facility. And I, I believe we'll work in, in um, partnership with Maha on helping seed some additional investment into that because that's what the whole mission of um, um, Hockey Day was, was to grow the game of hockey. And and that there's no better way to do that than through, you know, investing in facilities, making it available to more children uh, and exposing the community to, to more of those activities. Did you get a chance to, I assume with your passion that you know what the improvements are that are coming to all seasons. Could you maybe some, summarize that a little some. bit? Some, you know, I don't, uh, I was, I was uh, more involved earlier in my, my professional life uh, or at different times. So I'm not completely aware, but uh, so in ice, you need to have equipment that can actually keep the ice cold, refrigerate system. Okay. And environmentally, it needs to be, you know, in a position where it's actually, and I'm not technical. So this is where I'm going to sound like an idiot and uh, others are listening, laughing, but you, you, they need to invest in their, in their actual plant equipment making uh, part of it. Um, Aesthetically, ASA, I mean, I can just tell you this from firsthand experience is literally one of the most deteriorated facilities that I have been into other than maybe Wyndham, Minnesota, and a few others, like, of anywhere, uh, which, honestly, I think we're proud of our community. So, and again, doesn't have to be hockey, doesn't, but we should be proud of how we invest in facilities, especially recreational facilities. So I do think they're they're making some uh, much-needed investment just in the ability to continue to have ice on the north rink. Um, I think they're also aesthetically changing uh, the layout and the look and feel of, of both rinks um, and hopefully creating some different access points. Outside of that, I'm not as familiar as some of the people at Maha would be uh, or certainly the city. But for me, it's about because um, I know, you know, eventually you ask people like, hey, you know, what what is our community need? I want to have a place that people want to come to to live, work and play. And so for me, it's like recreational facilities. We live in Minnesota. It's cold weather climate. We want people to stay active. We want them to stay, you know, and frankly, whether it's good or bad, you know, young people are used to really good facilities. And so we have all these college students. They're used to really good facilities. We better have the same type of facilities. So, you know, when I was uh, chair of the Maine Kiddo Family YMCA board, we talked a lot about what that meant from Eastside presence and some other activities. And so 
I, I think the what ASA, it's just much needed. Now, will it go the entire way that some people have? Probably not, and that's okay. Um, the Shopco project has ice in it. Um, that's going to be a beautiful, incredible recreational facility. It's going to have ice available too. So I think the what the city's going to do with ASA and, and some of the other people that are involved in it, what the private investors have done at Shopco, it's all about public-private collaboration. So I think in tandem with each other, it's going to be meaningfully better than what it has been, at least for when our kids were playing the game. Well, I don't want to stop Aaron from asking any questions, but I also don't want to miss an opportunity to say, you know, we, we talked about this offline, no actual organization structure outside of you guys just coming together as a bunch of private citizens passionate about the game, volunteering your time, spending, you know, across hundreds of people, hundreds of hours, just shoveling snow, just that one piece, let alone everything yeah. else that went into it. As a couple of guys that really love Mankato and the community in general, thank you. Because that's, I mean, that's huge for us as a, as an MSA and just, you know, huge for all of our, our fellow athletes in the community too. So, well, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. And I, I accept that on behalf of literally countless people. Yes. I mean, we did have an amazing local organizing committee uh, that was an executive team that, you know, everyone from Karen Kramanowski on the, you know, volunteer side to, uh, Melissa Bradley, and and just the, the list of the names that kept going on and on and on. I mean, there's just so many people that, you know, came together. And the, the good news, and, uh, and it's something I talk about frequently, I think humility is one of the most important attributes of a leader or of people that come together for something. And you always found, Todd Snell told me this a long time ago, you find out the character of somebody, when you ask them to do something, they'll never get paid for. And ultimately, that's volunteering or serving. And that's the thing I keep walking away from. And I, it still does give me goosebumps, uh, if I can say that, because I saw how many people chose to come knowing they were never going to get a financial reward, visibility. It had nothing to do with that. It's just that we were so proud about hosting something for the first time in Southern Minnesota that elevated our community in a way that said, hey, look at us. And, and this is why you want to be here. And yeah, we have a great hockey program, which we love. I mean, who, you know, obviously incredible, you know, run we've had and we, we believe will continue, but it's like, that's, that's what makes us proud of our community. Yeah. Testament to Mankato too. And I just, while you were talking about it, I, I thought of one other thing I was going to touch on too. Did the folks at the wild end up kind of being, you know, eating crow, being a little shocked when they were surprised that you couldn't pull it off originally? And well, you know, it, it, so I'm going to go back. You can say it, Dave. Just say it. Well, no, I'm going to go back to it. So I started in, in, what brought me to Mankato was uh, a job with Norwest Bank. Uh, So that's how old I am uh, before I became Wells Fargo. And I remember talking to my peers in the metro area, and I came from Minneapolis. Not a Minneapolis guy, but I came from Minneapolis. Uh, and this is maybe where I get a little bit of pride creep into my life, but I remember talking to them and, the, and them always been like, oh, you're, you're, you're south of 494, basically, right? It was that mentality. And I thought to myself, Jesus, like, okay. So we all get a little kind of, I'm a competitive person. So I thought, hmm. So to, to answer your question, Wes, uh, I think the, the telltale sign was, so there, um, there's always a 100-day out party um, before hockey day. And so... This is the beautiful thing about your sponsor, uh, Chan Casca, uh, which, you know, known the story forever, known the Schwickerts, uh, Kent and Jane, um, an amazing 
regional asset. We are so fortunate to have something that differentiates us with the, with what they've created out there along with others. But um, we hosted our 100-day event out at the event center at Chankaska and invited not only our sponsors, uh, but invited other people that were influential. And, and there was a whole program set up. Again, kudos to Lindsay and Michelle and just, I mean, so many talented people. But Matt, uh, Mishka, I think is how you pronounce his last name, president of the Minnesota Wild, came down for it with Wayne Peterson. Uh, and, and literally, and, and when the event center, is, it was packed. We had 400 people inside of that in October. So beautiful time of the year. Yep. Incredible. Uh, we had a, a program, speakers, auctioned off uh, celebrity coaching uh, for the game, uh, for the alumni. I mean, it was just you know what, when you stay pure, I mean, it just, it, it was a, it was a home run truthfully. And Matt came up to me and I could just see the look on his face. And he was just like, first of all, who would have thought you'd have a facility like this in Southern Minnesota, which I think we all feel that way every time we're out at Chinkaska. And second, he's just like, wow, the energy in this to the point where, um, and I know you've had Charlie Whitaker on here. And, and again, Charlie's not a hockey guy. Uh, thank God for Nate Mulliken and some others that, you know, brought him to the table. But they, he literally saw what is possible that hockey, again, just the medium. And we had other people there that were at a different sponsorship level. When they left that night, they said, how do we become a more meaningful sponsor? So they went from 10,000 to 25,000. Like it just, again, um, to answer your question, yeah, the wild came away thoroughly impressed. Um, and, and for Bally Sports, you know, the media uh, partner on it, so I don't know if you paid any attention to the Minneapolis one that was would have been two years before. It was supposed to be just a year before us. Um, and you sympathize for their organizers, but it was a huge bust. They didn't have enough money. They didn't even have professional ice. The ice cracked. They, they just said everything that could go wrong went wrong. And everyone assumed, I think, Minneapolis was just going to be this marquee. Huge. Yeah, huge thing. Uh, it was at Parade Stadium, so beautiful backdrop. And it was just a, it was a big mess. And so... Um, you, you feel bad for them because, again, volunteers were trying to do everything they possibly could. So I think for us to have the kind of success we had, one, is testament to who we are as a community. And, and two, I think the Minnesota Wild and our, and our partners basically said, wow. And, and the War Road team flew in at the time. You know, uh, um, White Bear Lake had come down. Uh, Shakopee, which is going to be after War Road, they had a contingency there. Other communities that were in, you know, we just kind of gave them, you know, full exposure. And I think they all came away saying, wow. And, and all my messaging to them was, is, listen, this is our story. It doesn't have to be your story. Like, I thought White Bear Lake had a great hockey day. It was their story. Yeah, some similarities. But, you know, you, you know, someone once said, good artists borrow, great artists steal. And, and I think there's some truth to that. Like, take what works well, but make it your story. I think that's cool. Is yeah. it your plan to hit up uh, future hockey days in different cities all through, all through Minnesota? Uh, you know what? Uh, I love watching go travel sports. And hang out. Uh, I'd love to go to War Road, yeah. which, you know, is way up there. My sister lives in Ely, so, you know, I've been up that neck of the woods, as they say, yep. a number of times. War Road just has a great hockey story, and they have this river uh, that's frozen that people skate on that is, like, kind of miles long. I just think it'd be cool to be in that kind of small, truly hockey kind of destination. And the people associated with it are phenomenal. Um, the Marvel windows and, and some of the people that are deleting it, they're just, they're great. And it'd be fun to get up there. We'll see if it happens. I was actually 
uh, on a ski trip when White Bear Lake hosted, so I wasn't in town for it. Otherwise, I would go. I would go and host, and you know this about anything you've been associated with or even other peers. You celebrate them because you know what it what it means and what it takes, and you right. want them to be successful. doesn't mean anything against you. you. You want others to be just as successful as you've been. Right, 100%. Well, I'm going to take this time to do a nice, uh, well-deserved shout-out to our awesome drink sponsor that is Chankaska Creek Ranch Winery and Distillery. Thank you. You did great on that. Uh, they have been uh, our one of our sponsors for the podcast here since the inception a year and a half ago, providing us with delici- delicious beverages. Uh, I'm empty, so I'm going to go ahead and pour myself a little glass here as we go. Thank you, Dave. Uh, as we were just chatting about just a few minutes ago, uh, Chankaska's grounds are amazing. Their event center, if you listen to live music or if you get a chance to go crash a wedding, uh, do it because it's a beautiful uh, event center. And the grounds, not only that, but this time of year, we are recording this in July. Um, but the grounds are beautiful. There's a nice little stream that runs through there, the creek. And there's bridges and there's, there's a great patio. My favorite part is the bonfire pit. That's uh, also uh, a partnership with Vetter Stone locally here too. So beautiful limestone quarry nearby. Um, Wes, what are you drinking tonight, buddy? I changed it up. I'm doing brandy tonight. Brandy? Of the same family. Everyone that listens knows that I like whiskey or bourbon. That's usually my go-to, but Oops. you know, right next door at the brandy level. It the re- seems like Aaron's maybe double-fisted. You know, throwing I, bottles around. I really haven't had that much, but I almost broke that glass. But yeah, the Ranch Road series is something that I know. I remember talking to Jane uh, Schwicker when we first uh, talked to her about the sponsorship. And, uh, you know, the wines are great and everybody knows them for their wine. But she also talked about making sure that people knew that they had the uh, Ranch Road um, series as well. So Wes is drinking the brandy. We also have the straight bourbon whiskey. They have the rye. They have vodka and the North Forest Creme series as well. Dave, what about you, buddy? What are you drinking over there? I'm drinking a little uh, cab. So the Cabernet Sauvignon uh, from Chankaska. It's fantastic. Do you you know what? I, I think the other little known secret is they have great food. They do. N- nothing against our other, you know, wonderful restaurants, but I think it's fantastic to be able to go out there and have a wood fire pizza and some wine or a charcuterie board. board. A charcuterie board. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or I think someone just said they have tacos now, yeah. and and uh, I think they had mussels maybe on the, the menu. They, so they keep it's expanding just, it. It's yeah. amazing. So small, small story, small story. I remember when Kent Schwickert. Uh, remember I'm a, I'm a recovering lender. Uh, so I was in banking for a number of years, loved it because I got to know these great, successful entrepreneurs, wonderful stories. We have so many, the two of you represent them. I mean, that's what makes our community region unique. But I remember Kent talking to me a little bit about his vision because he's a passionate, passionate, uh, wine connoisseur. And I thought to myself from a, from a, just a pure banking standpoint, Here's a, a gentleman and a family and, and now an investment group that wants to not only take on a farming operation, if you think about it, yep. a manufacturing operation, a retail operation, okay? And then you talk of distribution, however you want to describe. So in, in my former life, I thought, wow, now that is a very complicated, sophisticated, amazing vision. So... We, again, just like the Hockey Day story, you look at the Chankaska story and all the other stories out there, but how cool is it that they've been able to do what they've done in our region 
and created this, not only this beautiful venue, but, you know, again, have invested time, energy, you know, money to take on a very complicated business. And, and, a, and I would say one of the more complicated business because it takes on all those other facets. So it's, it's cool. I, I think uh, we can't say enough great things about people, entrepreneurs that are risk takers that are willing to invest in regional assets that make us unique. Yeah, it's, it's great having them as a sponsor and it's so great to have them in the community. Thank you for your sponsorship, Chankaska. Let's talk. Let's talk about your history. We've talked about hockey a lot, which is so important. And again, super, super awesome. Which, by the way, with what my high school friends would laugh because um, I wasn't a big fan of hockey, and especially <laughs> hockey players, because um, not being a hockey player. Yep. And it was a pretty prominent sport at the the high school I went to at Rochester Mayo. Um, yeah, I might have had a little edge towards some of the hockey players. So they they laugh now. My friends that I'm still close with that are like. You know, you you hated on hockey uh, in high school, and now you've raised two hockey players. I'm right. like, yeah, that's the humility of life. <laughs> it, it's funny how that works. I'm convinced that most of the time, uh, people that say they don't like hockey as a sport, this is more mostly for the older people. I think, um, I think it's because they don't understand the game. Yeah. You know, I, I don't. Really, I'm not really a fan of hockey. Well, do you understand hockey, like how the sport is played and the the, the rules? Not really. Like mm-hmm. that's probably why you don't like it because right. once you get it and you understand it yeah. and it's fast paced, it draws your attention. There's something about it. That's really great. And if some young person says they don't like it, a lot of times I think it's maybe just a front because they can't play it. Because again, <laughs> my parents were similar in the same yeah. way that they didn't allow it as a sport. Cause there was three boys growing up and it, yeah. they couldn't afford it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's expensive. Yeah, absolutely. So as you fully know, yeah. so, um, but yeah, again, Anyways. hockey day, Minnesota hockey here in Mankato. We're so lucky to have, um, what we have here at the Mavericks and hopefully, um, Luke Strand can continue the winning tradition here uh, this season with the Mavs. So we're pumped about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Great guy. Uh, people appreciate him when, when they get a chance. To know I've, him. I've had a, a beer or two with him yeah. actually uh, at Jay Long's. We serve beverages there and Luke came in and had a uh, twice now a bush latte. I was going to say, a bush light. The, the, the best part is he likes his bush lattes. He likes his bush lattes. And I'm like, my man. Guess who's his instant friend? Ben Ellington. Bingo. <laughs> that's right. I was like, Nighthawk? Nighthawk. 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 Yeah. 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 That's great. Well, well let's, uh, if, if unless, you, unless you had something else, Wes, I wanted to kind of jump back a little bit with the, you know, your upbringing in the Rochester story. Sure. Grew up in Rochester, right? Um, what was young, young David like? Uh, so my mom did daycare out of our house. And I, I start there because, you know, for a young person, we had kids around all the time. So I grew up with two sisters. Uh, little known fact, I was actually born in Mankato. So my parents are originally from Iowa. Uh, my mom and dad got married pretty young, or I think young, 18, early 18 and 19. I uh, had my older sister. And my dad kind of came to that conclusion, like, hey, I need I need to do something. Like, I need to, you know, provide for them. And, and so they moved to Mankato uh, for my dad to go to school. And, uh, he did finish school here. Um, I was born here. My, my mom worked at Taylor Corp at nights. Yeah. I mean, it's just, was it Emmanuel St. Joseph's hospital? Uh, Is that yeah. The one? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and, um, so it's kind of, I, I'll fast forward. Uh, so when I graduated, uh, I was going to graduate from university of Minnesota with a degree in economics and I'm, I'm interviewing and they're like, they're going to put me in main kid on my, my mom and dad were like shocked. They're like, Really? Um, so, but anyways, my, my parents ended up eventually settling in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, my, uh, so I had an older sister, younger sister, my mom, um, 
does daycare or did daycare for 27 years, special place in heaven for yeah, her, truthfully. 100%. Uh, so we always had kids around. I mean, it was one of those things, split entry home. Uh, my, my, I think everyone's like, you're such an early riser. And I always think to myself, was it an early riser? Cause that's who I am. Or was it because there were daycare kids above my bedroom? Literally <laughs> like, you know, at 6am until whenever, but, uh, you know, it was a, it, it was a kind of a typical story. My dad was in banking, um, which, you know, we'll get to maybe as far as my professional path, but you know, it was, it was great. Rochester was kind of size-wise similar to what Mankato is now today. Uh, obviously different. Mayo played a huge presence, you know, kind of an urban center, but very, very safe, uh, great education. Uh, I, I loved it. I mean, I honestly can't say enough great things about growing up in Rochester and the friends I had. Um, very good friendships that still continue to today. And eventually, um, uh, I was very active in, in sports, uh, in other activities, uh, um, you know, the, the simple fun that, the, that all of us young adolescents went through and then decided, you know what, I'm going to go to school at Colorado state, uh, partly cause I just wanted to blaze my own trail. Um, I was going to be I shocking as in the medical community is going to be like, thank God, but I was going to go into medicine, uh, probably coming from Rochester. And so, uh, I went out to Colorado state, uh, pre-med biology, uh, met some, some friends that are still some of my closest friends today out there. Um, lasted two years, as my dad said, you wised up, got away from the, the distraction of life. And, and actually Mandy and I, my, my wife, we met that summer after my, uh, I should know this after my freshman year of college. And so there was a little bit of pull to come back and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And so I ended up transferring back to university of Minnesota and, uh, finished college up at, uh, the university of Minnesota and got a degree in economics. Okay. What made the transition from med to economics? Uh, if we're all honest with ourselves, uh, I wasn't disciplined enough. Uh, you know, so I went out there and I Dean scholar recipient these, one of the harder conversations was when I, instead of getting a three, five and a full ride, I, I was put on probation. Uh, yep. Uh, and so life experiences, my mom's just a good person. She's like, you know what? You just, you had some life experiences out there. And I'm thinking, glad you characterize it as that. Cause I think my dad's going to kill me. Uh, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't ready honestly for that kind of discipline and in that pursuit, and that's why I have a ton of respect for anybody that's going to pursue that path and the discipline it takes, not only for their undergrad, but now you're talking medical school, fellowship, and I'm fortunate enough in my business to get to work with some of them. I mean, it's just, you know, you got to be a mature, committed person, and, you know, thank God we have people like that. So I think for me it was that, uh, you know, being that far away from home, you know, um, all those <laughs> things that can happen to kids that, you know, uh, go off. Yeah. Well, no doubt that medicine is definitely probably one of the most disciplined, yep. you know, fields you can get into, but it's not like economics is a cakewalk. No, so no. I'm curious if you had a passion or if it was because of your dad's influence being in banking or uh, what, what yeah. made you interested in yeah. taking that? So I always loved math, always loved trend-based analysis, uh, statistics, however you want to describe it. And so when I when I decided, you know what, I, I need to make a change, I actually was doing really well my second year at Colorado State. But I was going into business. I'd met Mandy. I'm trying to figure out, you know, what does this all mean? And I decided, and it was expensive. It was out-of-state tuition. And, yeah. and 
and costs were relevant. I mean, they still are, but for my family, you know, it was very relevant. And so I decided to come back to the University of Minnesota and I was looking at, you know, Carlson School of Management was not an option for me because my grades coming back were not what Carlson School of Management requires. And so economics was in liberal arts. Uh, so I thought, you know what, I can, I can go down that path. And I think for a lot of us, and you guys are business, I mean, you hit adversity and you can choose to take one of two roads. And for me, it's like, listen, I'm going to make this work. Uh, I like trends. I like economics. Uh, so I went down that path. And, and, uh, and now, especially as I fast forward, I'm really grateful that I chose to pursue economics comparative to some others. You know, I think accounting is fundamentally critical to no matter what you do, you need to have a basic understanding. But I think in today's life trends, those things, um, I chose to, to pursue a degree in economics and, and did actually quite well. In fact, my dad, my wedding uh, night, uh, much to my, my Colorado State college friends, uh, you know, Mercy basically said, hey, what it, it's amazing how your grades dramatically improved when you came back to the University of Minnesota. And he gave credit to Mandy, which she deserves. Uh, but I think he was also taking a shot at my uh, <laughs> college friends that were maybe a bit of a distraction, although I was certainly to blame. <laughs> funny. Well, you know, you got you to own some of it, right? Just a little. Any uh, funny stories about Colorado? Any, you know, fun times out there that you can share? Uh, you know... Uh, it was Colorado State. So Colorado so State's in Fort Collins. Fort Collins. Yeah. And, and, and Colorado's in Boulder. Yeah. Right? So it's University about an hour, of Colorado is hour in Boulder. North yep, of exactly. Boulder. And it's it's kind of fun to talk about because now we've been through two college searches with our two boys and, and our oldest actually loved UC Boulder, which my college friends are like, campus. you do not let him go to UC Boulder. Like so we're nice. Colorado State, you know, through and through. But um, you know what? Fort Collins, uh, if you've never been there, it is a great city. Uh, and we took an interceder leadership trip as a community when GMG was doing that to Fort Collins. So there are some, um, obviously they're in the foothills. And <laughs> so as we're looking out these wonderful windows, you know, I'm not seeing mountains, um, but we are seeing hills We're you know, we're in a river valley, but, but truthfully, there were some similarities. Colorado State at the time, popula student population-wise, very similar to MSU, college community with industry. Uh, and it was an hour plus from a major metropolitan area. So I can see why and thought it was a great idea when we went there on one of those ICLV trips. But so it, it was a great city. Um, uh, one of my best friends from high school actually happened to go out there too on a full ride for track. Uh so I knew somebody at least, but, you know, we kind of took two different paths when we were out there. Um, I met some great guys. Um, joined a fraternity. Again, another distraction, nothing against fraternities, but uh, you can tell my maturity took a little longer uh, to percolate. So um, had fun, um, but lifelong friends uh, that I met out there. And, um, you know, we were fortunate enough to go up into the mountains frequently, um, fish, you know, there's just, there's a lot of things that, uh, that area, uh, provides you, but, um, no stories are really jumping out to me that, uh, it's all good. It's all good. I just love that area. You know, yeah. we've been out to Boulder a few times and stayed in the foothills. We've done yeah. day trips to Fort Collins. I'm sure new Belgium and, and, oh. um, Odell probably weren't there when you were, they, they've, there's a story. So but they're actually New Belgium, New Belgium Brewery was there. So really, 
So my second year, I'm living in a what would be kind of like the quarters here, like this great condo project, had a pool in an area. Like I thought I was like, this is the tip of the sore. This is living. Like I could die tomorrow and be fine, uh, which is another great story about what Kyle Smith and all of them have done with their student housing projects. But where I'm going with this is I had a roommate, fraternity brother, who was graduating that year. And there's a side story on that too. But anyways, so he's going to graduate and we go to get the kegs for his party and New Belgium Brewery, which is now, you know, I don't know where it lands, but it's, it's big. Yeah. Uh, it was like a feed mill. It'd be like you going down to Big Game Feed Mill in, in La Hillier or uh, the one down here right on Riverfront. Literally, you'd pull in there to get your keg. I and mean, that's literally how <laughs> primitive it was back then. Wow. And that was the, you know, the, the beer uh, in their story back then. It was that small, that kind of initial start if you will. And, um, I mean, what a great story to see, you know, I've been out there now since then to see what their new brewery is and it's, it's phenomenal. Next level. My recommendation for anyone listening young, make sure you stay hydrated when you're in the mountains (laughs) and it's sunny because you uh, can get dehydrated very quickly. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah, absolutely. Did you ever do Camelback? No. I mean, that's in the Boulder area, but the Camelback mountain hiking. No, No? never, never did that. That's a tough one. We did. We had Horsetooth Reservoir that was just up from Fort Collins, so we went up there frequently. Nice, Wes. Get us back on track. I, I keep will. distracting him. Where were we before I got him? Well, we were we were talking economics. Oh, we yeah. finished up. Yeah, uh, U of M. You, I think you alluded to being placed in Mankato, which was a funny full circle moment for you. Yeah, yeah, very funny. So you know, like probably, well, not like it. so. You have expectations. Uh, at different parts of your life. And, and so grew up in Rochester, great experience, lived in Colorado, loved it. Uh, in Minneapolis, you know, great metropolitan area, University of Minnesota, great school, economics. And all I thought was, I want to stay in a metropolitan area. That was kind of what I thought. Uh, and so I was, I, so. Um, what, what year, around what year was this? Dave, so I graduated high school in 1992. Okay. Uh, it took me five years switching majors, probably slow learner, however you want to describe it. Uh, that's what my friends would say maybe, but, uh, so I graduated college in 1997. Okay. Uh, and I forgot that the sides, a couple side stories. So one is, uh, I remember when I went back to school, my second year, my, my dad was, um, he was fair, but tough, you know, and had, you know, kind of was pretty direct and, um, high expectations. And I remember him saying, if you're going back, you need to get your, you know, S together and basically you need to get serious. Like you need to, you need to focus on a business career. I remember him saying, I'm like, okay. And you know, he was a very successful, prominent banker in Rochester. So he's like, I'll get you an interview at, uh, the bank. You can be a teller. It's kind of what his path was. And you know, at this point, I didn't have a lot of room to negotiate. You know, I just had lost my scholarship and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I get it. So I, I went out, interviewed at Norwest Bank at the time. So I became a teller my sophomore year and ended up being a teller throughout my college career. Great experience. Uh, you know, Norwest, great environment. Um, definitely kept me attuned to what was happening. Um, and Norwest was one of the firms I interviewed with when I was going to graduate from University of Minnesota. And so it was one of those things where it was like, you know what? Yeah, this seems like a realistic organization, had a great story. And so when I interviewed, um, 
Norb Harrington was one of the uh, leaders of all of Greater Minnesota, and he he interviewed me and basically said, "I want you to go to Mankato." And I remember thinking to myself, Oof, "Like I don't know anyone in Mankato. Yeah, I, I was born there, but I just literally no ties to it." And he's like, and he could tell, I think probably from my response, he's like, "No, we we place a lot of people in Mankato, and that's kind of." It's our most dominant bank, and, and if you go there, you're going to learn from some of the best. You'll get great exposure, and then you can do whatever you want. You know, a little bit of marketing in there, but it was like, and I knew what he meant because I, I, I was smart enough to understand from a commercial banking background, when you're in a, in a, a you know, regional bank, you get exposure to a lot of different businesses, a lot of different industry, and so it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, if I go there, yeah, you're sacrificing because you're, you're moving somewhere where you maybe don't necessarily want to be right away, but your exposure is so much faster. Right. And so uh, I said, this is what I'm going to do. And Mandy and I were dating seriously at the time. And she's at the University of Minnesota. She she actually went to work for Nordstrom for Eric Nordstrom. So she loved retail. She loved everything about it. And and if you know Mandy, you'd laugh because she's what's kept us here throughout some other life stories that have happened to us. And she literally was like, you're going to do what? Like, she's like literally looking at me like, that's fine. You go there. Like, how long is this? I'm like, well, it's a two-year corporate banking or, or commercial banking training role. And and after that, they said I can go wherever. And she's like, great, go there. And and I'm going to stay up here. And and once you decide to go somewhere else, then, you know, we can talk, basically. <laughs> and it wasn't that. I'm, and she's going to be like, David, I didn't really say it that way. And it's true. But there was a little bit of this reluctancy, like, we don't know anybody in Mankato. You know, we're, you know she likes the metropolitan area. Um, and we joke about it frequently now because it's 26 years that I've lived here this week and she moved here, you know, shortly after me, I think when she realized that I was going to be here for a while. And so it was, it was one of these things. So I, I took the job, uh, graduated in, in June from the University of Minnesota. I started here in July um, of 97 and uh, went to work for Norwest Bank, which at that time, Norwest was uh, the dominant commercial bank and For sure. and uh, um, was fortunate enough. And the best part about living in community this long now is like I saw Tom Lentz just briefly earlier tonight at Business After Hours and, and I see him and he was like my first mentor uh, and a remarkable, remarkable person, just uh, a good person, uh, you know, and so you feel fortunate when early in your life, you have these great mentors come into uh, your path, if you will, so they can help shape who you eventually become. So you had a great mentor early on. You weren't in love with Mankato, neither was Mandy. Somehow, some way, community turns your head. Yeah. What's what's that process? What what eventually, there had to have been a moment where you're like, shit, I think I actually like this place. Well, uh, that's the long game as I call it in life. Um, but so, so maybe, la- maybe he doesn't, maybe he's just stuck here. No, that's not true. No, that's not true at all. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to make uh, some of these stories relevant. And there's some funny stories I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to describe. But so when Mandy realized like this wasn't me just testing what, you know, whether she was serious about me and I was going to not go there, but just see if she would come there. Uh, I remember she came down and, uh, and we met at Applebee's for whatever reason, uh, probably because it was by the mall. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting in the booth explaining, like, no, this is this is where I'm going to be. Like, and if, you know, and, you know, you get to that point in a relationship where, 
you know, you're trying to love me. Yeah, exactly. If you love me, you'll stay in Mankato. Actually, I was afraid to ask that question, but I I was like, (laughs) well, this is where, this is where I'm going to be. And, and I remember her tearing up a little bit and she looked across and I'll never forget because you could see the target sign. She's like, she started kind of crying. She's like, well, at least there's a target. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny. And you know what? She's going to, if you know her, like that's nothing like, who she like she loves this community like she's right. in reading intervention at kennedy like she's doing work that i could never even imagine doing like she's in the trenches like she lives eats and breathes uh mankato and what it represents and and we've raised two boys here so it but but that is the true story it was because we didn't know any there was no yeah. emotional connections and, and the best thing about sharing some of that is the turning point uh was um so Norwest literally becomes Wells Fargo pretty quickly. Yep. And for a number of us, we were just like, whew, like Wells Fargo, that's a California bank. Like, like, what does this mean? And I was just like thinking to myself a little more like opportunistic, like, well, yeah, that could change things, but what do I know? Like, you know, I'm kind of young or whatever. And we lived in bell tower apartments. So that's literally where the Wittenberg family got it started in Mankato. Uh, and we lived there for four years. So the house we bought is the same house we live in. Um, and I think partly because we just assumed we wouldn't be here. And and that's, and again, 26 years later. So the, the story for a lot of young people, you can chase things or think things are greener somewhere else. But the reality is when you look at all that really matters, Mankato has it. And, and it's a great story. It's it's everything you could ever imagine. And so, uh, so the turning point was uh, we get married. She comes here to finish school, which worked out well because she was elementary education major and MSU's got a great program. Mm-hmm. Uh, she worked at Children's House, small story. So we literally know some families from from way early on that they can't even they don't even still recall because they went to know Mandy at that time. And uh, she gets a degree, we get married and and ultimately we start, you know, thinking about, okay, what's next? At the same time, there was a lot of adversity happening at Wells Fargo. And I had a manager in commercial banking, Arlie Freiberg. And Arlie, I'll never forget it, because uh, I'm like a year and a half in, and he just kept looking at me. And Norwest still had a lot of major relationships now at Wells Fargo. And he said, you should take these over. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm 20, you know, four years of age. Uh, what are they going to say? I mean, you know, it, we were all young. And, you, you know, you had those first clients. You're just like what are they going to think that they're dealing with the, you know, you know, the young person. And, and I thankfully had enough humility. And I just remember thinking there's so many things I don't know, but I know I can always lean into Tom Lentz or I can lean into some other people. And, and Harley Olson was the president. And so there were some people that were really smart, really good at what they, they did. And so professionally, my career started getting launched and in a way probably launched even faster because then quickly because of what was happening, they looked at me like, you're having success, we're gonna put you in charge. And so I was co-managing commercial banking with Rich Tufty at the time. So I started getting all this wonderful exposure I would have never had probably anywhere else. Probably didn't deserve it truthfully, uh, but I was smart enough to say, take advantage of it. Uh, you know, we're married, Mandy gets pregnant, uh, and now you're starting, you think it's a season of life. I used that term earlier, but we're at a season of life where you're going, okay, what's so appealing about being somewhere else? 
it's like this similar size community to what we grew up in or I grew up in in Rochester. It's got great education. Uh, we found a house in West Mankato, like this, you know, I look at that as like the, the perfect neighborhood, truthfully. And, um, and so it was like, this is, this is home and there's nothing wrong with that. So that's, that was the turning point was a little bit of this, our, you know, professionally, I was getting a chance that most people probably didn't deserve. Um, cause remember no young professionals. Like I look at today all the resources we're fortunate to have, like Young Professionals Network and all these great things GMG and others have done. And I'm just like so jealous. Uh, I would have died to have some of those things because I can remember pivotal moments in my young career thinking, because I didn't connect. Like I was I was in an old person's business a little bit, banking, I hate sure. to say that. And and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a college kid, you know? And so I'm kind of like, stuck a little bit between okay where do i belong we left almost every weekend um until you know some of those moments where all of a sudden career's taking off manny's mm -hmm. pregnant and all of a sudden we're like now this is home like for now yeah. so long story short no matter how much manny cried she was married and you had a, a kid with her so now she couldn't leave yeah <laughs> we're staying that here is not this lesson for young they people have a target and the, they have a target in applebee's i guess this i wish might Mandy was out. here right now because she but would literally look at you too and be like do you want to know actually the other side of the story <laughs> no, like know, for, for all of us right i'm totally joking <laughs> but i actually love the fact that you're honest about the beginnings of it because a lot of people would put rose-colored glasses on it and say oh yeah we weren't sure what to expect but we ended up loving it and that that would be the story not the reality of you know a lot of times when you're moving to a new community no matter what the community is you're not sure how you feel you're you're not uh you're not necessarily excited about change so, so. wes if i may oh, real quick go so, ahead yeah uh so now fast forward and, you know, going through life a little bit and in a position where I'm trying to recruit talent. And so we have this amazing intern this summer, amazing from MSU. And uh, we've extended her internship uh, into her coming school year. And she's from Northern Minnesota, uh, Aiken area. And, and it's hard because I said to her, because, you know, I said, I don't, I don't expect you to know the answer to this, but if I offered you a full-time job tomorrow, what would you do? And I could tell she like, not panicked, but she was a little like, like, and I said, and so she's like, in way more maturity than I would have had. She just said to me, she's like, you know what? Um, if I knew for sure I wanted to live here, I'd take it tomorrow. And that's not a testament to me or, or Steve, although I think we have an amazing story. It was more where I'm going with this is, you know, she has an emotional attachment somewhere else. And for her, it's, it's home or closer to home. And, and again, to your point, I will never second guess, challenge somebody because they need, a, they need to go there and experience it. But I also know that I was that person, meaning right. I didn't want to necessarily come here. That, that wasn't my first choice. And even when I came here, I was thinking I had one foot in and one foot out thinking, how do I quickly extricate myself um but the reality is that's a little bit of all of us where you try to figure out hey listen like you you got to realize like is the grass always greener and i think for a lot of us whether it's relationally or professionally it's easy sometimes to look at what you don't have or what something for else sure. looks better instead of reflecting on and that's where the denny dotsons and people that have this amazing wisdom are good for us is because they they remind us of 
look what we do have. Or, or you hear a success story and you're like, look what we are fortunate, fortunate enough to have. Or you go to a hockey day or you go to a, a concert at Vetterstorn Amphitheater. Like we have these great reasons for people to stay. And so as I was talking to Trista just last Friday before she was going to go home for a month, I just said, hey, no pressure. Want you to come back, come school year. Uh, just think about the possibilities that if, that if you're not sure, you know, give it a try. Um, because I do think once you give people a chance for those of us that are transplants, there's a lot of reasons to stay. Yeah, I would agree. And I think, you know, we talk about all these different assets that we have as a community, whether it's Betterstone or Chancaska or some of the recreational facilities that are either coming online or have been online. It would be kind of cool to put together some sort of like welcome package of, hey, go and have one free Glass, maybe it's controversial for the college kids, but go have one free glass of wine at Chancaska. Go if play you're one of age, free game we'll get at, you uh, drunk. Stay here, Pickle Barn. You know, or you know, just check yeah. out all of these different spots. What if we came up with a little? You know, it's a good idea. It actually ties into a lot of what you know. And you were just bringing yeah. up a little bit before, but Denny and having that internship program here, mm-hmm. they, they're going to have to you know acclimate themselves into the community if they come here and stay for a summer. So yeah. you even in that specific program you have you know welcoming a committee or people on that committee that take them around to the local business to sell them on potentially staying here and growing here and raising a family here i i agree and i haven't involved myself nearly as much as you guys have in all these committees and programs and boards and things like that which i'm getting uh i'm getting the itch to get more involved again but like yeah, I mean, going back to the Mankato thing, I'm born and raised from here. I went to Mankato West, and I left for college, but I came back um, and now, you know, operate a business here with others. But there's there's a special sauce to this community, and a lot of times I'll save it for a question in the final five, um, Dave, but what do you think, what is the special sauce to Mankato that's different since you have traveled around a little bit and you've lived elsewhere and things? What do you think, if you could simplify it to one or two things, is the special sauce to Mankato? I think we still have a very entrepreneurial environment. And when I say that, meaning we have individuals, groups that are very uh, passionate, engaged on doing something different, starting a business, creating a new version of something, doing something, you know, Pickle Barn's another perfect example. I mean, those are young people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Mitch and Sydney. I mean, it's like, so you you still collectively have an environment that I think makes people want to try things, um, and and I think that that's that's special. So that's that's a little bit of the entrepreneurial environment. Um, I don't know, you know, it's uh, and I still think, and I do get nervous about this, but I still think there's this connectivity from people that have come before us that are still trying to stay engaged and invest and make a difference. So it's entrepreneurial environment, people that have success that are still finding ways to connect and give back uh, so that it becomes even a better version of itself. So take the Children's Museum, something me and I are passionate about. So I've been trying to not retire, uh, but but change a little bit of my volunteer activities. And it's not just because of, you know, the hockey day endeavor. It's just a different season of life. But my, but Mandy came to me, remember she's in education and she said, you, can you please help the children's museum with their expansion project? And for her, it was, um, this is a key differentiator. 
She's like, if we would have died to have something like this when our kids were younger, and you look at what puts us on the map or what differentiates us, what they're looking to do, what they've already created, but what they're looking to do next with the help of credible families like the Jacobsons and, and Dotsons and a number of others, the, the Richards family, the, all these great kind of the Mankato families is a different, it, it can really set the stage for what's next for Mankato region. And I say that, you know, North Mankato, Mankato, greater Mankato region. So it's that kind of entrepreneurial environment that's been fostered for quite some time and the connectivity uh, that's there. I always say I'm a little nervous because as we all age, you know, the, the likelihood is you lose some of that connectivity. And that's where I, you know, another passion of mine is Man Carry Foundation. That's where I think they can be the voice of philanthropy in our region and be the connector with those families in the initiatives or opportunities, impact investing, however you want to describe it, that can continue to say, this is a place that we want to foster so that, you know, the the simple David and Mandy Wittenberg story, you know, is easier to overcome uh, for people. No, I think right. that's a, a great testimony. I think the challenge and the question that I've been asking a lot of folks that are probably your age and older, uh, especially folks that have that kind of, you know, history with Mankato too, who's the next group? Like who are the people, right? That's what I want to know. And that's always a tough one for people to answer. And I, I'm not expecting he's an answer slamming, right now. He's slamming his, why is he slamming his wine? <laughs> well, because it's, it's tough to answer, no, I know, right? I, know. I mean, I, I feel like I'm pretty well connected and that I, I do a lot of things to, that I would assume would introduce right. me to folks. And I know a few, I'm not putting down my own generation by any means. There's plenty of people that are doing really great things, but it's tough to identify who, who are going to be the people that step into those same shoes. Well, and we're, we're in an interesting, I mean, just us three sitting here, Wes, I mean, you're going to be 30 soon, right? This November. This, yeah. Yep. In November, um, he'll be 30. I, I'm 37 and, and I'll mid, be 50 in February. There you go. Yeah. So, you know, a unique kind of mix of ages here. So it, it, it's a great question that you pose because it, it really, we know a ton of the same people, but we also know other people that are in different age groups too that, yeah. So it's easy to be a critic, right? Please. No, no, I'm just saying it is. And I, I think about that. And, I, and I'll be the first to say I, I've gone down that path more often than not mm-hmm. lately for a host of reasons. And that's where my amazing wife brings me back to remind me of what is good. And, and, right. and also when you hear stories. like, but I, but I feel like you'd be constructive about it too. Well, though. I, like I try to be. And I think you know, you've, you've seen a little bit of that through GMG where I have tried to be constructive, meaning... Yeah, I, I have a strong opinion. Uh, I have a conviction and some history with it. And I try to say it in a meaningful way that doesn't, you know, just throw someone on the bus, so to speak. Um, and, and then you listen to the story of Denny Dotson, right? You know, the, the youngest of the greatest generation, although he doesn't want to be included in that, although he is literally from a, and I'm not just saying that because uh, you had him on here, but I think of people that have come into my life, like the wisdom, the patience, the what if, or have you thought about this type? I mean, you can't have enough people like that. But then he talked about, you know, the uh, the next generation. And and I it, it's funny because, you know, for some of us that are now either in this season where our kids aren't, you know, aren't at home or aren't as active or, or we're not tied into certain activities, we're reflecting more. 
And we're starting to direct that energy in different ways. And, and for some, that means they're just pulling back. They're not, you know, well, some are moving. Um, and that's no disrespect to what Chad and Tara, I love them as a family. I totally respect what they chose to do. Um, and there are others like them. But just other people that are just, you know, at a different time saying, I've been there. I've done that, right? Um, I pause and think about who is next. Like, and for me, it's like, I'm not going to let that change how I choose to direct my energy because, um, you know, you, you need to take time to reflect and slow down and, and listen and then redirect that energy. But for me, it's like, I have a practice here. Like, this is something I'm passionate about. I'm not leaving this community because my practice is here and I believe we'll be here. And I personally, I'm going to be 50, but I want to work till 70. So this is our home and it will be for a period of time. Just because we don't have kids here doesn't mean I don't care any less, truthfully. Right. Uh, in fact, I might be able to, to share more opinions and, and hopefully change things so it doesn't look like I'm as biased with kids involved in certain things. But the, the, the point is, I think, you know, I look at, I look at, I just purely look at demographics, age demographics and families. And I, and I try to look for people and it gives me pause. That's all I'm going to say. I am. And maybe other people felt that way. I don't know. Like I still remember in a, and I'll tie into a story I'm going to share in a minute that, that Darren blue just brought to me on my patio or bourbon. Uh, but, uh, it was a short pour. But it, it was... Eight uh, fingers. Yeah. But I still remember being in my 20s. As I said, I went to Norwest, uh, then became Wells. And, I, you know, you look, and I think the differentiator between people that, you know, continue to learn, succeed, overcome, are the ones that are intentional. I think that's a key attribute. And I see that even in young people. And I try to share that with our boys who I can influence. Well, maybe not as much as I like, but try to influence. But I still remember where I'm going with the story is Tammy Paulson calling me and saying, David, we want you to join the Mankato Family YMCA board. And honestly, I can still remember sitting in my office at, at North Wells Fargo uh, and thinking, oh, not that I arrived, but like that was a defining moment for me because I thought, okay, here's some pretty successful, prominent people that are asking me to join their board in a nonprofit board where there are a lot smarter people than me or certainly a lot more experienced, I'm going to learn from them. And, and yeah, I was passionate about the why. It was a, you know, I think it was, a, you know, again, a community center, clear, you know, central place for our community. But it was those kind of moments. And I don't know, and I've talked to Tammy, and coincidentally, I'll see her tomorrow, but I, I was thinking to myself, like, why me? Or, or what made them decide as a, as a mid-20-year-old? And where I'm going with that is, Bluey said to me the other day, he goes, you know, uh, what? he goes, as you look across the community, and he goes, who is next? So other people are asking that same question. And remember, well, so Darren asked, and Jim. I asked Darren that same question so, over and, drinks. Yeah, yeah, and so Darren and Darren, you know, Carter, they're going to be, you know, they're engaged. You know, he's always been a community person, but Carter's growing up now. And it's like, I think he gets it, and he's in a different venue now at ISG. Uh, and I think... I said to him, I don't know. And, and his comment was, what if, uh, what if, you know, each of the people that are influential in some way invited someone to join them, almost like at their hip. So it's like a little bit of a, a mentor, mentory, you know, environment where they just kind of follow along. And 
And so being the critic, uh, I was like, yeah, well, what will, you know, what if they don't care? And he's like, what? He's like, they will because they're going to witness things and you're not going to invite someone that's not at least willing to engage in that. And I think he has a, to your point, Wes, I think you guys have a very good piece that needs to be focused on similar to kind of the day that it's all under the same kind of prevailing theme, which is how do we engage young people differently? Yeah. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, I think those that are intentional will succeed. It may not look exactly how it is, but think about your businesses. I'll think about my business and I think if we can figure out a way to engage them differently, and yeah, life's busy. You know, yeah. I think about your young kids. I mean, I think about some of the people that are are in influential positions. They're everyone's busy for sure, but we need to bring them along, not dragging and kicking like sometimes <laughs> you do with toddlers. But uh, but you need to bring them along. No, I think that's a fantastic point. I you know, there's so many people that I could list off that are you know, the families of Mankato or the business leaders or the community leaders in general, that if they were to pick a protege, so to speak, and, and bring them along and have them be a part of it, that would be great. And I think it would it would do wonders for the community. The other piece of it that's tricky is is you always need someone not to be shallow about it, but it's it's real. If you want to have action, you have to have someone that actually has the checkbook at the end of the day too. And that's the other part of it that's also interesting because there's always inheritance and, and, you know, nepotism can be a dirty word. I don't mean it in that way, but, yep. um, that aspect of it too. And so it's just interesting to look at it, try and figure out how to get the right people around the table for the next generation. Absolutely. But I do think, so checkbook can be, and I get it because I'm in the business where, you know, financial means usually, um, people are drawn to that. I think Denny said, you know, when you finally have some treasure, people find you somehow, some oh, way. For sure. But we were all young and didn't have a didn't have anything. But what we did have was time. Right. Eventually we had talent. And, you know, then treasure tends to come. Uh and, and so and I think treasure, whether you want to use it from a biblical perspective or not, everyone has something they can give. And and treasure means different. Um Things to different people because what some people consider rich, other people think isn't, you know, so to speak. But the point is, I think we can leverage that in a way that says, no, we want your time. No, we want your talent. Right. Ultimately, uh, <laughs> I don't mean to be too nonchalant by this, but I think raising money can sometimes be the easy part. I truly believe that. And I remember when I was at the Y and they raised money and then they had to deal with operating now the expanded Mankato Family Y facility, they had no idea what they got themselves into. So the, the raising money for the construction wasn't the hard part. Uh, you, you realize that like six other people are now going to call you tomorrow yeah, after know, this releases I know, and I be know, like, David, I know, I know. raising money is easy. <laughs> but, you, but you know where I'm going with I think yeah. sometimes <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's the it's the other aspects You're not wrong. that are harder, uh, and 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 I also think the money piece can be the or the and, and time is everyone has the same amount of time. I remember someone saying is because when you ask somebody like how are you doing they're like they're busy, and this is not meant to be critical, but they're <laughs> like everyone's busy. The garbage man, the teacher, the law enforcement officer, us around the table, we're all busy. We all have the exact same amount of time. And the reality is, it's so true. So it's like, 
you know, you choose to prioritize your time differently. Um, but we need to find those people that are willing to say, yeah. And, and for me, this is where I would actually challenge somebody, especially a young person that says, I'm too busy for that. I'd be like, so what are you doing from a professional development standpoint? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. Because for me, yeah, I want to do something I was passionate about or, or certainly believed in. But for me, for getting involved initially, it was, I want to be around the people that are influential. Like, I want to be around the people that are actually have been successful and see what they're doing differently than I'm doing. Yeah. And so for me, it was, and I don't mean that to sound terrible, it's like, there's the, everyone's a little selfish at the end of the day. For me, it was like, hey, I want to participate in that activity because it's going to teach me differently how to ask the right questions. You want to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. If we're not on this lifelong journey of learning, uh, and I can tell you that from just a, from now a financial advisor perspective, I, I think that's when you start aging worse than, than you really need to. So jumping back to the career side of things again, we've talked about Wells Fargo, the Northwest uh, transition there. What was next after Wells Fargo? What was the departure? What was the what was the next step? Whew. Here's here's the here's the adversity part of the Wittenberg family. So uh, I talked a little bit about that inner city leadership trip. Uh, so the thing I felt fortunate about is Norwest is dominant. I, I get a chance to meet all these incredible business people, and and of course you get kind of attached to their stories, right? Like wow, they've done this, they've done that, like. There's so many of these great successful stories, and and I have to admit I'm a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a risk taker, but I'm a little bit of like why not me? Um, and that's not meant to be uh, an arrogant statement, but it's like hey, you know what? Uh, I'm competitive. I think you know whatever. So Todd Snell early on was an incredible mentor to me. Uh, he, I would say at one point, one of the most visionary people when it came to his business. I mean, think about where he was on, in Riverfront. He, he goes in the Menards, old Menards facility. Like he, and he put me through some leadership training. Um, one of the best books I've ever read, John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. So funny story, Melissa Bradley, now, you know, uh, owner operator at Snell with Todd. She gave now both boys, cause they've graduated Wittenberg boys, the book for their graduation gift. So her and I went through that training. And, and to this day, I, I lean into that a lot, uh, that, that leadership book. And, you know, there's a lot of great ones out there. But where I'm going with this is Todd, Todd kept talking to me frequently about why is banking the way it is? He, he was always trying to challenge, you know, why do things, you know, why do certain businesses have to act the way they do? And so uh, we talked a lot. And we both go on the inner city leadership trip to Fort Collins, which I still think was one of the best kind of uh, endeavors as a community. Was that the first no, inner city? First one was Bellingham, Washington. Okay. Yep. Uh, Not to derail you. No, no, no. My memory. Uh, so Bellingham was first. I think Fort Collins. I think Fort Collins was second. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, 2006. 2005, 2006, right around there. And we go out there. Remember, I went to school there. And it's amazing to see the community. It's thriving. It's got a lot of similarities. And one of the major sponsors was this boutique bank for, uh, for called this entrepreneurial activity. And Todd looks, you know, we come away from that. And Todd looked at me and goes, David, why don't we start a bank? 
And I thought to myself, okay. And, and, you know, I, I didn't think he was wrong because I, you know, Wells was imploding. I, you know, I mean, it was tough environment. Uh, First National Bank, you know, the, the bigger banks, you know, that you, you know, the history. I mean, there's some great stories. There's some great banks today. Uh, but what he said was, we need a bank that, that is dedicated to entrepreneurs and professionals. And I didn't disagree with him. And I, and I could see what was happening. Now, remember, this is 2005, six. We had no idea what's on the back end of this, meaning 2007, 2008. So where I'm going with this whole long-winded story is adversity shows up in all of our lives. Uh, sometimes it's hard. Uh, so we come away from that. Uh, we, we say, yeah, we should do this. And I, I was going to leave. I, at the time, you have, we have two reputations. Well, we have one reputation that's our own our personal brand, like that needs to be sacred. And then you work for something, either it's your own businesses like you two have. At the time for me, it was this institution called Wells. I didn't believe in the institution. I didn't. People know me. I'm a principal person. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do that anymore. Like it was one of those things where I'm just like, I can't uh, sit there and try to lend money to people or try things and, and it's not working. So we went down this path of trying to start a bank. So what good entrepreneurs do is they look at the best banks and say, what is it about them? It's similar to what we do with Hockey Day, uh, you know. And so for us, uh, it was pretty easy to research uh, who the best banks were in Minnesota, uh, who had raised the most capital, uh, who were the best professional advisors at the time in it. And, and that's what we did. And he was, I mean, Todd was pure and passionate and, and zealous. I mean, he just, he was, that's who he was. And so we went on a pilgrimage and basically tried to say, okay, if this is what we're going to do, what does it look like? And like any hopefully good endeavor, you try to recruit some of the best people around you. And so a uh, small story, but my father worked for John Royce, uh, the Royce family, uh, when it was a corporate banking environment up in Minneapolis. My dad got into this corporate banking school, elite banking school way back in the day. And John Royce was one of his instructors. So fast forward fast forward when I came to make my dad said if you ever need somebody reach out to John Royce so uh and I had you know kept up relationship with the Royce family and so I reached out to John and said John I think we should start a bank and here's why and and Todd met with them and John's like I'm all in and so we started with John Royce and and we were really close with Sarah Pearson and so we were you know we started recruiting what we thought was the dream team or no different than any other endeavor. And so we went after, a, a, again, a local organizing committee, if I want to compare it to Hockey Day, and and basically said, we want to be a, a bank of entrepreneurs and, and professionals, uh, call it whatever you want. Uh, and we were all attached to this faith journey uh, at the time. And uh, and and so we wanted to, to stand for something. Um, I think Nancy Dobson talked a little bit about her story. And so... Uh, we went down this path and and created one eight two you know holding company after Psalm eighteen two and said this is going to be what we stand for. Uh, we're going to be based on principles and uh, and we want we want to be the place where people can trust and believe again a little bit to the uh, to the old Busher family how they started the, you know back in the day and so. Uh, we, we hired some great advisors and, and they said, you know, I think the most capital at that time that had been raised was like $5 million and, and either we're good marketers or other people felt like it was 
the right story. And so we attracted, you know, eight and a half, nine million dollars of capital. And and this is again in 06, 06 actually 07, because I left I left Wells Fargo in September 07. Uh, and you know, you're starting to see things, but so you get anxious, right? Like you're like, holy smokes, what am I doing? Like this is a leap of faith of grand proportions. Uh, and and ultimately I, every conversation we kept having, and I remember Mark Davis saying this, and you want to talk about another man of incredible wisdom, um, that what the Davis family's done. But Mark Davis said, you know, everyone used to criticize us for, you know, reinvesting in the cheese business when dairy or cheese prices were terrible. But that's the time to do it. Because when you invest, then you know, you know you're going to come out of it. Because we got, we got started, unbelievable success, you know, got everything. And then, you know, the bank regulators, God love them. They're there for a reason, but they just kept challenging everything. And I think, you know, we were unique, uh, but we did, you know, we raised, like I said, eight and a half, nine million of capital parked in a bank. They said, nope, you got to go hire a leadership team. So we went and recruited what I thought was one of the best leadership teams, Keith Dietering, an incredible guy out of Bank Midwest organization out of Iowa that Todd knew. Uh, Jana Rosso, this wonderful operations person who I think still at United Prairie Bank, uh, which is kind of where we transitioned everything when it didn't go forward. But uh, Brian Cook, uh, he's actually in my business now, but he had, you know, had a CFO background. So we did everything they said to raise the capital, put the leadership team in place. You know, we had a correspondent banking relationship with Bridgewater Bank, which is one of still the most successful bank stories in Minnesota. Uh, Jerry Bach, what they've done is amazing. This is a long-winded story. I'm sorry, but uh, so we we basically did everything they asked us to do, and I would say significantly more. And I'll never forget it because we got a call from our examiner in charge of the FDIC in Kansas City uh, that said, "Hey, everything looks good. You've done everything we've ever asked you to do. You know, we just got to get through the the final, you know, the final signatures, if you will." And this was in November of uh, 2008. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and then then nothing. It was like it was like the earth stopped. And I remember, you know, you kind of started to get nervous. And so it was right before Christmas, and I'm thinking, okay, what's going on? And so I I I finally, you know, called down there, and I'm like, you know, what's going on? And they're like, we need you to see you in in Kansas City on December 29th. And that's not a that's not a good call. Like you just knew, and and we knew there were some banks that were very nervous, very nervous. Some banks that put a ton of infrastructure in, that were anxious about us starting up. We had, you know, we didn't have all, you know, there was a lot of great people that could have been investing in this, but, um, and so Todd and I flew down there, and they basically said, yeah, we've asked you to do everything you can, but we're not going to approve your application, and. You know, and remember, we, and so we. It's illegal, by the way. Well, uh, <laughs> so you can imagine. So yeah. I love Todd. Uh, he's like, we're going to fight him. I'm like, that's the federal government. I'm like, they have more resources than we do. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we had built out the space and Tony and Rob, another incredible, I mean, what those two have done in this community, but they had, you know, acquired the Grafe building. We put our, you know, they built out the space for us. R.W. Carlstrom did the work uh, where GMG went, you know, and, um, uh, or is now, I should say. 
it was United Prairie Bank, which is where we trans. But anyways, we did everything. And we even had parked all these loans at our correspondent banks, Bridgewater Bank and M&I Bank at the time. Like we had a, a $40 million loan portfolio, which would have been, would have made us profitable on day one. Right. Uh, anyways, uh, and so the structure of something like this, just to, um, and it's just my story, but so I had to put seed capital in, uh, which was 300,000, top put 300,000 in. And remember, this is, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a young professional. My wife's in education. We have two young boys. That's a lot of money. Yeah. A uh, lot of money. And so, <laughs> uh, and it was a lot of money for everybody. But the point is, um, when that happened, and, and this is a good lesson for anyone that's trying or does start a business, we didn't have a well-defined plan B. And I know in some cases, you, you, when you're passionate about something, you got to have a well-defined plan, or you just have a plan A, you don't think about plan B. But I actually, I would say, no, you need to have an exit strategy. And one of the things, so fortunately, I, I get a lot of people come in that are business owners, entrepreneurs. That's just kind of who I cater to in there. And I always say to them, what's your exit strategy? And they look at me like, well, I'm just, you know. But I'm like, no, you ultimately need to think about what is your exit strategy. Not that you should want to do that today, but we didn't. So we just went all in, didn't think about a plan B. So now when we get that, that, you know, message. And this is the humbling part. Think about who our ownership investor group was like, it was widespread. And, and so I'm sitting here going, Oh my gosh, like now what do we do? Uh, and so we come back, we kind of reassess. Uh, we knew Northern star bank was struggling because now we're into this global, you know, financial crisis recession. So we went to the, the examiners uh, or the um, regulators and said, we'll take over Northern Star Bank. And they're like, no. They're like, well, they're going to fail. I yeah. mean, we, we know that. I mean, everything's public, right? Like, they're going to fail. We, will, we have capital. Like, we have capital. Nope. So then we, we tried to partner with BankFist at the time and, and, you know, work out something. We couldn't, you know, and our investors deserved, you know, to, to have a decent uh, structure and, and, you know, uh, it was hard. This is where you, you, what's good for the group is not necessarily always good for you, but I had three people that were relying on their livelihood for me. You know, we were paying them. Uh, that was their life. I mean, it was my life too, but it was their life. And United Prairie Bank called and just said, Hey, listen, you know what? Um, Bobby Ockfeld said, we want, we'll take it all. I mean, what you've started, not the sunk cost. And, and, you know, at that point, I was just like, you know, we had a lease, you know, I mean, it was, we, we were way, we were way in. And I just said, um, okay, you know, and, and when I say, okay, we, we met as a group and uh, we transitioned what we could to them. Keith Deidering exited right away. He wasn't going to work for them. I, you know, David Naples was advising, unbelievable man. And I, you know, him. do you know? Yeah. Incredible human being. I wish we would have never lost him to Florida, but that's okay. Uh, We're going to try to get him on here, by the way. You should. When he's back in town. You should. He's on he, my list. He's just, uh, yeah, I just can't say enough incredible things about Besides that guy. Besides the either. fact he likes the Chicago Bears, but <laughs> we'll forgive him for that. Especially when you Glutton start. for punishment. When you get him talking about that, that's when his Chicago accent comes oh, out too, funny. which is kind of funny. But uh, <laughs> anyways, he gave me some advice on how to navigate that situation and no disrespect to them. I knew it wasn't going to be a long-term employment. So 
where I went next. That was a, geez, hopefully everyone just kind of went to the bathroom on well, that break. Well, but anyways, before, the, the point is, yeah. it was my chance of being an entrepreneur. Uh, and we did everything right, and yet it didn't work. And, and uh, you know, the only saving grace, because we had some great people, and we gave back 100% of their capital. So, you know, I lost what I put in. Todd lost what he put in. Uh, it was tough. Uh, and the reason why I share that is because I, I think frequently is when you go into a bar or restaurant or you go into Jay Long's or I'm sure even here, uh, you know, no one sees what's happening from a risk standpoint, right? They, and that's okay. But the average consumer goes into a restaurant and thinks, gosh, I'd love to own a restaurant. Or they go into a bar and think, I'd love to serve cocktails or I'd love to sell the best clothes or I love cream. Yeah, they do. And yeah. And that's the thing for all of us that have lived this, realize, man, there's some, there's some dark days. There's some, I mean, I can remember laying in bed and my wife just holding my hand thinking, and this is getting deep and sensitive, and I'm sorry to all my friends are going to give me a ton of grief. But the reality is she was very worried about my health because it was, you felt like such a failure. And, and so for me, it was like, how do I recover from this? Truthfully, like, yeah. like, thankfully, I know I gave back 100% of the capital and the market was down 40% plus. So, you know, we had some callous people who were like, hey, you know, gosh, you saved me 40%. And that's, and I get it. So I felt good about giving money, you know, their money back because it didn't work mm-hmm. going forward. Um, but ultimately, and I do think things work out for a reason. I think there is a master plan and I do think, and Mandy, I'll share that part of the story eventually, but uh, I felt like a failure. And I felt like I just want to leave. I did. I just wanted to, you know, and our, and I remember a Jack who's, you know, mature beyond his years at the time and just was like, dad, are we going to be okay? And as a father, uh, you, you're like, wow, this is, this is a hard one. But ultimately you transition, you go through that, you know, humbling process, uh, you know, the people part, I've always been a, all about people. They kind of settled in, you know, and, and got to go back. You know, Keith yeah. and his wife and family moved back to, to the Lakes area in Okaboji. And, and, and it, it didn't work for me there, which is okay, because honestly, it was just they were going through a lot of change there too. And I just, I became unemployed. Uh, couldn't collect unemployment insurance as a, as a business. You know, so it's just one yeah. of those weird things. But it was like... Thank God, you know, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. The most important decision is your life partner. And Mandy's just like, we'll be fine. She's like, we'll get through this. You got your health. We have two great boys. We'll be fine. So literally, I took some time to think about what was next. And I didn't want to rush. You know, I had spent my life in commercial banking. I was fortunate when I was at Wells to, to say and see what private client group did. So like Bruce Kinsella and and and... Mark, like some great guys and what they were doing. And I thought, you know what, if I ever chose to do something different and I was done with commercial banking, nothing against it. I mean, I have a lot of respect for it's an important need in our community, but I'm like, I want to start a wealth management practice. So I had some conversations. I became an adjunct uh, instructor at Bethany. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, or Westfall, by the way, if you haven't had Art Westfall on here, he's on the list. He's, uh, there's a man of wisdom. I wish I only could have. And, 
he he's like, hey, why don't you just come up here and teach a class? Uh, so I went up, taught a class in macroeconomics uh, for semester. Eventually, Talus Brock, you know, similar, you know, hey, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to start a wealth management practice. He's like, put a business plan together. So I put a business plan together, and and uh, him and I sold it internally at U.S. Bank. And so I went to work there, and um, and that's kind of how I transitioned. And it was, but there were times when Manny and I were like, "This is this is a this is a good time to leave the community." Ultimately, you you check your ego, you check everything else, and realize, no, this is a community that's embraced us. Yeah. Our kids deserve to be in a stable place, and ultimately, it's more about them than it does right. us at this point. But it was, it was hard. That would be a tough tough thing to go through and and still stay but at the same time you paid everyone back so it's not as bad as it could have obviously been i'm curious was that story of the almost bank ever publicly told published i mean since it wasn't actually a bank i can't imagine that there was a lot of publicity around it no and uh there's interesting laws uh about raising funds and uh public and venue so you can't even so they did a story on us starting this bank and that was a no-no because mm -hmm. it it became then instead of a private place memorandum it became a public ah. so you know it's you find out things and thankfully we had, you know just good people around us but the point is no that part uh was never told i'm glad that we got the well, exclusive on that then years later i've never I heard, only that, I've that, never heard that, anything about that story that was that not. was amazing and i i, I mean i'm also very tragic as well. And, and, but I appreciate you being real and deep about it. Cause obviously I think it's so important for people to hear the, the, the failures of, um, people that are well known in the community who've had success yourself, you know, um, and hard to identify it as a failure because it was really nothing that you did. I had yeah, less, I had lessons, but, but I appreciate you saying here, that, like, but, but, but to Aaron's point, uh, and again, it's all semantics, like how you want to characterize it, but, but for me, it very much felt like a failure. And, yeah. and, and, you know, so I always say humility happens to all of us for some, unfortunately, on their deathbed. Um, and the reason for that is I think humility is one of the most important attributes to have. And it's because we're one bad experience, one whatever away from kind of an unfortunate outcome. So you got to stay humble. And so that one was, yeah, very public, but, uh, couple things i was fortunate it's easier to say it now i mean there were times i mean i was depressed i mean i can tell right. you that right now and uh, i'm not afraid to share that uh because how do you not honestly in that case uh but uh i had a so i'm in the space that's now gmg space you know i probably had it for for a period of time and so they put me down there and i'm in the office which was you know strange you know so i'm working for someone else uh, which is okay. That sounds like a control freak, although maybe I do have a little bit of that issue. But but the point is, I'm sitting there, and I remember a successful entrepreneur came in, and not a client of the bank, came in and said, hey, David, you got a moment? I'm like, yeah. He sat down, he looked at me, and it would be somebody that I wouldn't have expected to walk in, and he looked at me and just said, I want you to know something. And, and, and I'm sitting there, I'm waiting, and he said, you know, you see a lot of the successful entrepreneurs in this community and you see all the successful swings, so to speak. You don't see, and some people never hear of all the failures or the, you know, the missed at bats, if you want to describe it from a baseball perspective. So he said, keep swinging. 
And he literally walked out of my office. And I, and I get goosebumps to this day. And the reason for that is because what I'm doing now. But he, I remember thinking, you know, you kind of, you put some of those things in the back of your mind. And then you come back to them eventually. And I thought to myself, yeah, you're right, David. I mean, you used to lend money to some of these people. You know, some of these things don't work, right? Like, think about your businesses. Think about sometimes the stock investment strategy, whatever. If you stop then, that's when you, then you really can say it didn't work. So I appreciated that. Um, the other pieces, uh, and, you know, like any good person sitting here, in any good story or any story, there's always someone behind the scene. I mean, I'm so fortunate. I have a wife that basically said, David, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any expectations, so to speak, coming into this relationship from a, from a monetary standpoint. So, you know, fast forward. And the reason why I'm going with this is she's, you know, the reason why I never thought I'd, I'd try anything again. True, I was like fatigued out of, you know, beyond fatigue. She said, if you don't take another leap of faith, that's when I'll be disappointed in you. That's literally what she said to me because I had um, a side story. So literally I'm maybe one year in at U.S. Bank and I get a call from Glenn Taylor's uh, personal secretary, uh, Lynn Danielson. And it's like, Glenn wants to meet with you. And I'm thinking it's for the Mankato Family YMCA because I've been the previous board chair and we're talking about East Side presence and all that. And like any of us, we're smart enough to if so you get a call from someone, you you go and meet uh, with with a Glenn Taylor. So I go up, uh, and I'm only sharing this story for a couple of reasons, but I go up and meet with him, and he he had just gotten back into running Taylor. Um, Gene had been in in the CEO role, and you know things kind of didn't go the way uh, anyone expected, or they chose to go in a different direction. Is probably a better way to say that. And I remember sitting down there, and if you've ever sat with Glenn, it was my second interaction with him. Um, he said, well, I'm, I'm back, I'm running the business, and I'm going to change a few things. And basically, I'm going to recruit some people from inside, and I'm going to recruit some people from the outside, and I want you to come work for me. And, and I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, I, I gave Todd Loosebrock my word, I'm going to build a wealth management practice, and I know that's going to, and I said, well, Glenn, I'm like, that's, that's very nice of you. You know, I'm not sure I, I'm deserving of that, but I said, I gave my word to Todd, I would start my wealth management practice. And, you know, like any good person, that's probably going to take a couple years, you know, three plus years to do. And I remember him looking at me and said, that's great, but that might be one of the worst decisions you've ever made. And, <laughs> and he didn't mean it like in a negative sure. way. He just was like, you know, this may not come around again. And I remember thinking to myself, true, but your word's your word. And so, um, the reason why I share that is, so I thought I would be at U.S. Bank, and and Todd, great guy. I mean, we've known, you know, we competed fiercely when we both were in banking starting off, and we both started basically the same year. And so that's what I did. I started a wealth management practice, but I kept getting uh, contacted from Steve that said, hey, if you're serious about this investment, you need to be work for an investment firm and, uh, and, and not a bank that's, you know, in the investment space. And uh, and so it was, you know, five, almost five years later that I chose to take a leap of faith, but I only did it because I felt I did right by the U S bank and, and what my word was. And, and I would have never believed in myself enough if it hadn't been for some of those other people that shared those stories and, and a wife that said, Hey, 
So what if we, you know, go back to, you know, zero, so to speak, and um, you got to take those leaps of faith. And you guys know that. I mean, you do it, you do it every day. Uh, that's what entrepreneurs do. I'm loving the stories. I really am. I just think it's so important for people to hear. You know, we, we definitely have a lot of listeners of the podcast who are entrepreneurs and high income earners and people that have done really cool things and uh, all age brackets. But I get inspired quite often um, with guests and definitely here in the last you know hour or so of talking to you, Dave, about just taking the leaps of faith, about failing and being able to admit it and going through the mental um kind of anxiety of the whole situation. I, I think it's just a good reminder of people uh, to, to keep going, to keep swinging. Like you said, I got goosebumps a few times while you were talking. Cause I was just like, man, you know, you think about your own experiences and you internalize what you're talking about. And then thinking about the hard times with, with Jay Long's where we, you know, dug yeah. things out of the pits and made it better. And uh, I'm sure Wes, you have stories of, you know, your family business at times not doing as well and continuing to grind. Um, but wow. Great reminders, and thank you for sharing so real about about those struggles. Uh, thankfully, we got <laughs> the spouses is an important part too, because man, um, I think a lot of times I can just say as as a as a, a male and a competitive male and um, a person who wants to win and wants to feel successful and wants to come home and feel like you know, <laughs> beat on your chest like I did some good shit today, you know. Um, that's that's tough, and if you're not feeling like you're doing things to move the needle forward, um, it's hard not to feel like you're failing as a man, right. in my opinion. And so having somebody on the other side to say, hey, it's good, like, it's okay, it's going to be okay, just get your ass out there and you'll be fine. You know, just keep moving, keep grinding. Well, and, and so we're obviously talking about entrepreneurial activities, we're talking about business or professional, but... But I go back to, and this is where I'm so grateful that Mandy stayed in teaching and education, reading intervention, but talking about these these children, these you know the youth that are going through adversity, and we all have that. Like I bet you, each of us can quickly say, "I remember being bullied. I remember you know something not going the way I expected," and and it, it it's hard. I mean, it, it becomes very emotional when it's very raw to it's something that's very similar to what you went through or it's someone you love. Um, and yes, children or your own children is, is um, you know, obviously a closer defined raw, but the reality is you want young people to realize, you know what, that adversity happens and um, that's normal. Some of it's tough. Like there are some really tough stories, but the reality is, you just you need someone to step into their life at that point to let them know that they're going to be okay and they'll they'll get through it because who knows what that young person's going to become then like for so for Mandy and I we're big believers in in youth in education and investing and so however we can help there um, time talent treasure but it's because you have no idea what someone's going to become you don't and if they don't get a chance we're missing out. You know, and that's, I know people have been on here talking about uh, my place uh, a lot, but, but there are, that is the one more visible places. But you think about all the other volunteers and educators that are sitting there in the trenches every day trying to influence outcomes for young people. That's everything. That is absolutely everything because we have no idea what that talent's going to become. So as employers, we better pride ourselves on the fact that we're going to celebrate that 
uh, advocate for it, support it, because uh, we have no idea what they can create for future people in all of our respective businesses or where those people are going to go off. And I just think that that's really relevant. Sorry, that was my, I digress, but I just, I feel so passionate, Manny, I feel so passionate about the young people in our community. You were volunteer of the year <laughs> in 2016, right? And then you also were the Hap Halligan Leadership Award. I mean, I want to talk about community being important. Uh, from a GMG perspective, you got two of the bigger awards that say, hey, this is a guy who really cares about community. Uh, well, that's humbling. I think it's hard because for some of us, we're either in, in roles that uh, make us more visible or do certain activities that, you know, people are like, wow, you know, and the reality is there's so many people behind the scenes or in the trenches doing work that none of us would do, truthfully. I mean, I, I hear some of the stories uh, that my wife brings home, and, and I honestly, in some cases, don't even believe them. I do, but the reality is uh, it's an interesting time. And so I appreciate you saying that. I'm grateful that I had a chance. Uh, I feel like if you're going to live somewhere, uh, then you need to get engaged. Uh, I would say my parents taught me that, and I shared that in, I think, my acceptance speech for, for Hap Halligan because although my mom was a daycare provider at home, she was in the trenches. She was helping other parents raise kids as every daycare provider, every daycare environment is trying to do. And my dad was the visible one that got all the credit because he was the chair of the United Way. He was the whatever. And I was fortunate enough to see that a uh, couple things happened. One, you feel good about serving. Uh, that's the most important thing. Uh, two, uh, it's it, it can help in so many ways, um, both professionally for your you know for your development for whatever. Um, but ultimately, and now I can say this at this point in my life, uh, so almost 50 years done, hopefully, I don't know how many left, but hopefully some more. Uh, I think life's all about serving and we do it in small ways. We do it in, in larger ways, but those that serve, I think tend to leave this world in a much better place, no matter when they die. And so I feel fortunate that I had a chance to do that, uh, and, you know, GMG could have recognized a lot of other people, but feel, feel grateful, I guess, that, that my, my number was, was pulled. Well, thank you again for that service, but also the future service, because you're still active on the Main Kino Area Foundation Board, if I... I'm on MAF right. Holdings. Okay. Yep. So the, the non-asset, not to get technical, but, sure. but we're, we're trying to do... Uh, we're trying to play the role of impact investing for the Mancaria Foundation. So yes, mm -hmm. super passionate about the foundation. I again, Nancy knows this. I talk all the time. It's the voice of philanthropy, connects families, truly can identify where we need to go next. Uh, so that's why I place a lot of emphasis on that. Um, I'm helping with the Children's Museum project because uh, my wife asked me to, and it's the right thing. And it's also, it's amazing uh, what. But the vision of the original founders of the Children's Museum, coupled with Lou and her leadership and ISG, uh, 
if people haven't seen what is planned there, it is going to blow people out of the water. And I don't say that loosely because I'm have high expectations. I've been told so, but it's it's a it's a game changer. And so um, involved there, I help a little bit with a few other things, but um, those are just more pet projects. So thank you for all that you're currently well, doing. We as all well. we all do we all do something. Uh, that's not exactly true. <laughs> so thank you. Well, that's awesome. I uh, wanted to, uh, where was I? I wanted to ask you about, I'm looking over my notes. There's so many notes I've taken tonight, Dave. It's fantastic. Um, I can jump. Oh, in. yeah. Well, yeah. I was going to say, uh, so it's Stiefel. Great job, say by the way. Stifle, uh, Stiefel, uh, Stiefel. It is Stiefel, and Stiefel. I'm going to take you out for a drink because, uh, so funny, funny thing is, it doesn't look like it should be pronounced stifle. So I don't know. Stifle? Stifle, stifle, stifle is really bad. I would to prefer say. that it's stifle because I'd remember it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's I've got German. friends that are invested with you that still can't pronounce yeah, your name. No, trust me. And, and you know what? Uh, yeah. So there's actually a great kind of marketing thing, which, you know, I probably should talk to someone who actually knows what they're doing, like class. But uh, that I think Stiefel actually where it shows the pronunciations and because it, it is not easy. It was two German immigrants, mm -hmm. uh, Stiefel and Nicholas and, uh, and now just known as Stiefel, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it doesn't look like it should be pronounced that way, but it's a German, it's German. Well, I'm glad I got it right. I think I heard it somewhere. So I had a little bit of a, Can I tell help? you some funny story. So we've been a uh, supporter of Maverick Hockey, as you guys know. And so we're at the big damn Meyer <laughs> blue line golf tournament and, it, you know, and Hastings become a dear friend. Love the man. Honestly, one of the greater human beings. And, and he's up there trying to thank people. And I'm saying trying because Bluey is looking at me and he literally says stifle and, and he should know. And, and he said it like three years in a row. And I finally just, I just laugh. I just, you know, what do you do? You just kind of, even when your good friends don't know how to say it, but you got to be known for something, I guess. So, yeah, right. um, <laughs> but anyways, did Hasty get it right? Uh, uh, I think I lately he has. Okay. All right. I was going <laughs> to, that's good. We'll take that. That's right? great. That's good. No, well, so I wanted to talk about your current role. So with where you're at, you know, yeah. you talked about your history in the banking business and some, you know, a lot of great things there, but so what does, what does Dave do today? Like, you sure. know, your day to day, uh, obviously you can't share everything detail wise and client wise and all that, but yeah. what, what exactly do you do? Chandler, Chandler Bing, Chandler Bing. Because I'm good. sure there's people in your that. life like, what do you do? I love that. It's great. Chandler I mean, Bing. What do you do, Chandler? I just I brought up a reference <laughs> to a movie, uh, Business After Hours, and then realized my age because I was talking about uh, summer school. I thought Matt Downs looked like uh, Mark Harmon from Summer School, and <laughs> someone that works for him was like, "Huh?" But so, Chandler Bing. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, do you, need, do you need bourbon, by the way? Uh, you know what? I will. Uh, I was sharing with them that I I love wine, uh, but like Wes, I like uh, I like a lot of th things uh, beverage wise. So I, I do like bourbon. I'm. Uh, it's yummy. My best friend from college, uh, Dave Coons, who will never listen to this, but he is a bourbon connoisseur, and so he has uh, helped me enjoy uh, different varieties of, of bourbon but it's a, it's a good way to conclude or uh share um and so thank you appreciate that we're doing it neat can you do it neat or i do can I do need, it neat. do i need to nope, run and get you nope, a nice cube nope. i'm not gonna be okay although most people think i am high maintenance and um probably not all that wrong i, I can drink that <laughs> neat. um so stiefel so 
Uh, you kind of know my story. So, you know, grew up kind of banking, use that word loosely, banking. So commercial, private banking. So loved and believe the fabric of every community is built on entrepreneurs, business owners, uh, key professionals, call them influencers. Okay. And obviously I think that's maybe what, what started here. Uh, and so when I, when I was thinking about what was next, uh, and I think about life and this is where my economics or my, my, I do have some intellectual capital in spite of what my friends might think. I, you start looking at demographics and you think, you know, money in motion. You think about the next season of life or the next chapter or what people's exit strategy is. And so uh, I thought it was fascinating to try to help people, you know, navigate that that transition. And so eventually when I went over to Stiefel, I joined a team. Uh, for me, it's always been about I want to be on a team. I, I, I know what I'm good at, but more importantly, I probably know what I'm not good at. Uh, so uh, to this day, David Morgan, who I joined from the beginning eight years ago, unbelievable intellect. Uh, I call him our chief investment officer of our team. So it's the Morgan Wittenberg Group. Uh, we've created, uh, Mary Conley was a part of our team for a uh, few years as she was trying to transit, not trying, but wanted to intentionally transition. So like you, you, you have these clients you become passionate about them. You become passionate about their stories uh, and you become serious about, okay, what's next when you're going to leave? And I say that to people all the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm 49, but if I die tomorrow, you need to know what is still here. And thankfully, we have this incredible team. So the Morgan Wittenberg Group is made up of a number of people, but we're all consistently passionate about helping people navigate seasons of life. And uh, that takes on a host of different things that for different people at different times, right? So you have young people, right? They, they get out of college, they start their career. Uh, they have no idea, you know, what to do. And they kind of fumble through it like we all did initially, but eventually something happens where they, they decided to, to have a conversation. So for those people, it means something for other people on the other end of it is, you know what? I don't want to do this the rest of my life. And so how do we exit this in a meaningful way that we can, you know, live out whatever's left uh, in a, in a, in a productive, happy, serene way. And so uh, we're fortunate enough to, to deal with a lot of clients. Um, I would say my practice when I started to, to today has been built on uh, advising business owners, entrepreneurs, professionals, because that's who I've always worked with. And I just decided, you know what, David, you are who you are. So continue to work with the people that you're passionate about and you want to help. It's the long game because for some, their largest asset is their business. And there's no liquidity in that in many ways. So they're waiting until whenever they decide to sell it. Um, so we do a lot of planning, financial planning specifically, uh, we're fortunate enough to to be associated with a firm like Stiefel. So Stiefel is the seventh largest firm in the country. That's only meaningful to the point that we have access to resources. And for me, it takes on a different connotation because they are super entrepreneurial. And the reason why I say that is they don't tell me how I need to run my business. Like, you know, we, we've all been somewhere like that. They're like, hey, do right by the client, do right by the regulators, and build your business the way you want to build it. Um, and I think that's refreshing. So, so for us, uh, we deal with, you know, about 625 million in assets and a thousand families or businesses. Um, that's the Morgan and Whitmer group. 
Uh, so primarily that's what I do. So I, I'm working with different families on much different activities. We get paid on the investment management front. So when we actually manage their money, everything else we do is, is part of the relationship. Uh, we choose not to charge for that. Um, so that's what I do. Now, Mary Conley, uh, there is a woman of remarkable wisdom. Uh, I knew her from the outside. So people say, why, why'd you go to Stiefel? Uh, and so remember, I started 26 years ago in Mankato. And when I was in commercial banking, you start looking like, who do they work with? You know, we mentioned David Naples, Michael Jacobs, Jesse, the Fredrickson team. You, you look at uh, a number of other professional advisors out there. So whether it's legal, accounting, uh, or when I was in banking, it was the Piper Jaffrey crew, the Larry Marushkas, the Mary Conley, the Andy Foster. Uh, those are the people that I knew. And so they didn't change when their company changed. So that said something a little bit about them. But where I was going with it is um, I always knew Mary Conley was this amazing kind of professional, like, uh, she had this air about her. Um, now I've gotten to know her really well. She's got an incredible story. And she's married to Rich Coyle. So, if, I mean, Rich Coyle, uh, one of the bigger characters. And I say it, in a, I mean, he is such a great guy. I mean, when I joined the golf club, you know, a lot of times people are like, who's this? Rich Coyle is one of the nicest guys to all the young people that came out there. So very welcoming family. She's been a source of wisdom uh, for me. Uh, so she became branch manager two and a half years ago when we went through some adversity as a branch and uh, and at the same time had already kind of said, Hey, I'm going to exit my business at some point. Will David Morgan, you, you know, take on or buy my practice. And I'm like, absolutely. Think the role of you, you know, know some of your clients. Uh, and so when she chose to retire, uh, she asked me to take over management. So that's the other piece of what I do. So primary business, passionate about the Morgan Whitberg group, uh, the other piece of it is I manage our complex. So uh, for Stiefel, that's Mankato, New Ulm, and Mason City, Iowa. Um, and so we have advisors in those other communities and, and staff. And, uh, you know, I love helping people. Probably the best way to look at it. And I'm empathetic, I think. I, I connect. Uh, you know, we have some great people. So the management, you know, when you have when you have great people, you're not really managing. You're just saying, hey, how do I help? Uh, and navigating a few things. I get a lot of email, but that's the nature of the world we're in. Everyone just likes to email, I think. But um, so that's the nature of what I do. Um, but I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, love working for Stiefel. Love our story. Love the practice. Uh, think there's another uh, evolution of that story. So working hard on what that might mean in our community. So trying to become more engaged in our community and in other ways from an investment standpoint, from uh, growing uh, the business here. I mean, I always say there are a lot of great advisors. There are. Uh, and when you, when you respect other advisors, that's all that, you know, when you run into someone and they're like, Hey, and you know, they have a great advisor. That's great. I mean, I know some of them, good friends with some of them. That's the most important thing. Um, but I don't want them to work for us. I want them to be on our team. Like I want the best people in our community uh, working for Stiefel. So that's another piece of what I'm what I'm trying to do too. Well, ahead of this interview, I actually, funny enough, I had an exchange with Kenneth Meixner. Oh yeah, yeah. He's my uh, he's my guy. 
right? And uh, we were just talking about a couple of different investment opportunities. And I said, oh, by the way, this is actually perfect timing because I'm going to have David on the show. And just like him, just like Chad Supernot, just like a few other friends in the community, I asked, what are some stories about David? And every one of them said, he's the guy that makes sure that he's not in the story. Like there's no dirt. I was digging for dirt, just to be clear. No one had dirt. You didn't look deep enough. (laughs) I didn't ask the right people. Get deep is what you're supposed to do. (laughs) Exactly. So you were getting back to the research Uh, piece. I just thought I'd let you know that. Apparently you do a pretty good job of hiding. No, no. We all have a story. Uh, You know, you hope... You hope those moments that are the the dirt, as you would describe it, or I would describe it. And I say uh, that jokingly. I know you do. I'm not. uh, We all have it. Uh, But I I appreciate it. So uh, you run into people. So I would have never met Ken Meixner ever. And you probably know that just because of the nature of who he is. He's such a unique guy. One of the smartest people. I I'm talking talk as fast as him either, by the no, way. No, no, not a chance. And I wouldn't even try it. You'd no. be exhausted within an hour. But he is brilliant. Uh, the beautiful part about our businesses, we have, you know, very diverse group of advisors. And that's a good thing because there's a very diverse group of investors out there. And um, he is a very successful person. So um, yeah. that's funny that it's that, been uh, fun getting to know him because I don't really actually the, the way I was introduced was through another client of his who sure. is a good friend of mine. Yeah. So I've just gotten to know him very briefly over the last maybe year and a half or so. Yep. And uh, every time I'm on the phone with him, I I'm consider myself somewhat savvy financially. I'm not, yep. you know, I'm not studied, but I, I do a fair amount of research. Yep. And I have to really work to keep up yep. on the conversations. Yeah, he's, he's a sharp dude. Uh, so in our business, and, and it takes on a realm of things, right? Because we all know people that are uh, in our business, whether they're financial planners or insurance people or or investment gurus. But uh, as I like to ex- describe Ken, he he honestly operates at a level where he could run his own mutual fund. Like he is that analytical and detailed. Mm-hmm. And we have people come in pitching their product all the time, probably like any of you know our respective businesses. And he will go, he will drill so deep uh, to the point where these wholesalers, we call them, uh, they don't know anywhere near what he does. So you can imagine how hard that is for them when they don't know the level of detail he has. And that can be, you know, a good thing and a bad thing. But um, but it's amazing. I think people come into your life and you can learn from everyone, good things and, and bad things. But uh but I appreciate the fact that uh, Chad must have bit his tongue hard. In fact, he's still bleeding. Well, he uh, sent me a picture. I don't know if we should include the picture. Oh, no. yeah. Yeah. No, huh? we better not because he's, I'm pictures. sure it's from one I of love our pictures. Our, so, uh, <laughs> so, one of the things that I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, about the hockey side is. Uh, so there was a, yeah, you don't, you cannot publish. I already know that. It's my massive forehead with some, some blood vessels probably popping out or protruding from it. I think he's probably got the right picture. Um, well, let's see here. The caption funny. is laughing his ass off on the way to Whistler. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Chad, good old Chad. Um, does that look familiar? Yep, that does. <laughs> It either looks like I'm severely constipated or <laughs> I'm I'm laughing at somebody. But it might be the cover photo for your episode. Chad, yeah, Chad must it better not be. I'll, I'll actually pay for the whole season. I'll oh, become your largest sponsor. Uh, we found a new method for finding sponsors, Jonesy. 
That's called blackmail, isn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think uh, it's been around so forever. Back on the laughter. Well, I'm gonna digress. So I think laughter is the therapy of life. Uh, yeah. And so you Amen. know when you're on a good trip or you're around good people, when you just you laugh to the point of that embarrassing picture or literally my forehead <laughs> is massive. The the blood vessels are popping on my, or you just know you're enjoying yourself. So. Uh, Chad Brownlee, uh, he played hockey here at MSU. Um, you know, like most people, life ends no matter what your endeavor is. And so he went on to be a, a country music star in Canada, uh, hosted a charity golf tournament. Darren Blue had a longstanding relationship with him. So we we started taking a trip up there uh, as a group. Uh, it started with Jason Beal, Darren Blue, uh, Mike Hastings, and I, um, a number of years ago and then expanded to eight people. And I think even at one point took 10, but the point is great group of people, just fun to, you know, to travel. Uh, this is all pre COVID, but travel up to Canada, play some great golf courses, laugh with some great people, support Chad's uh, philanthropy and, and realize like, you know what, there's just some, some good people you want to be around and, so that picture stems from one of our trips up to, to Whistler, which if people haven't been to British Columbia, uh, and I haven't been a lot of places, but that is one of the most beautiful places, in my opinion. In fact, I I could handle being in, in that whole Vancouver, Whistler, British Columbia every year for a month and not even think twice about it. It's that just quiet, peaceful, beautiful place. It's on my list. Somewhere yep. I got to go. Yep. Master plan. Master plan. You said something about a master plan earlier in the episode, and uh, I wanted to come back Professionally to that. or personally? Well, maybe, I mean, either one. Choose. Uh, so. What, what's, the, what's the master plan? So, we'll, we'll start with professionally. Okay. Uh, you said you wanted to work till 70. You're almost 50. You'll yep. be 50 in what, what, uh, what's the date of your birthday? February 8th. February 8th. Yep. Okay. Uh, so. One thing I've learned in, in this side of the business, so the, the investment, wealth management, advising side of the business, planning side of the businesses, uh, because everyone comes with a little different set of circumstances. Everyone has a different set of means, right? We all know the, the real success stories, uh, and there are a lot of them, and, and that's great. We do meaningful work for a number of those families, but there are, there are a lot of other stories and, and a lot of great stories. And and for me, what is truly rewarding is watching uh, a family. We call them families because we love working with the adult children too. But uh, when you look at a couple and they're going to retire, and yes, you need to have means. Like we know how expensive life is today, and, that, and, and it's hard because there are plenty of people that don't have the ability to retire or it means something different. But for a number of people that we get a chance to work with, um, they have enough to retire. Uh but the ones that retire successfully, and I mean successfully meaning they age gracefully, they're the ones that know how to repurpose. And what I mean by that is uh, Mike Mitchell was a long-term uh, CFO of Hubbard Feeds, Ridley, uh, and he shared a book with me called, I think, uh, Refire, Not Retire. And, and what the premise of it is, and that's why I say repurpose, is you know, we all want to eventually have a chance to uh, slow down, okay, or not keep up the pace or sell something and monetize, you know, it, it means something differently. 
But I think what we all need to start coming to conclusion on is we also need to know how to repurpose. And what that means is you're so used to a certain way that when you go to retire, if you think that's the golden era, it not it, it's not because you need to be even more intentional in many ways because someone's built-in structure for you, uh, whether you started it or someone else kind of created it for you. And, and the people that age gracefully are the ones that know how to repurpose. And it means something for different people. Like our neighbors, two houses down, they've done something with the ravine. We live in West Mankato, unbelievable neighborhood. I know I've said that before. Right next to where Danny Dotson grew up, by the way. So we're the house right next to Grandma Dotson's house. But the point is, the two houses down, she is retired from teaching. And she has created what I call literally almost a botanical garden in the ravine. And it, she gets her hands dirty. So you talk about blue zones. They talk a lot about getting your hands dirty. And, um, you know, so I think for me, where I'm going with the story is, I want to continue to work till I'm 70 if I can. God willing, if I can age. Uh, I'm, my dad's got Parkinson's really bad. So this is, a for me, when I say a different season of life, we're, we're dealing with some aging issues with my father, which cut you know, his private career a little shorter than he wanted. So if I can age well, I want to continue to work. Now, it's not going to mean the same thing, right? I'm not going to hopefully have to come in every day. Um, I mean, I may be managing the complex at that point. We have a lot of great people. Maybe I'm mentoring more, but and maybe I'm just working with a, a smaller segment of our clients. But for me, the master plan is I want to do that as long as I can. Like I, I was uh, interacting with somebody uh, uh, in the familial line, if that's the term, of Joe Abdo. And and I remember seeing him all the way up until he almost passed. And he, he walked frequently. He was meaningfully engaged mentally. And you look at people that you respect that stay in the game or stay active. That's what you want to be, in my opinion. Or, you know, down the street here is the school sisters. So when I was in banking, I, I got to work with the school sisters on their skilled care facility. And I remember watching them. They stayed active for their almost entire lives. And so for me, my master plan, Aaron, is I want to stay meaningfully engaged professionally as long as I can in whatever ways people will find benefit from hopefully it means you know being a part of my practice until 70 hopefully it means managing or, or leading the group uh for that period of time i mean i know our team morgan Whitberg group we have some pretty exciting things in front of us so uh we think we can be a, a pretty significant practice as a team um but also i hope we can attract some other people like us that that want to be a part of that and and that might mean some other things too when it comes to what the Stiefel story looks like here in the greater Mankato region. I like it. That was really good. <laughs> Should I ask you about master plan on the family or is that kind of, that's a holistic, that was kind of a holistic uh, no, approach? No, I mean, you know, I think all more of us. Kids? No, more kids? Oh my God. <laughs> you and Man Mandy, you heard it here first. Yeah. He wants more yeah. children. That's I could share a small funny story on that, but that, that's that's getting that's getting no we uh, no no more kids. Um, Mandy I think would kill me. Uh, we wanted a big family, and just that's sometimes not in the works either, sure. you know. And we have two beautiful kids. Uh, we've got them to a point of college life, whatever that means. So, although Jack's a senior, so I think he's close. But uh, master plan for us. 
you know what, uh, we're kind of looking at that. And when I say that, you know, I think we all go through these different emotional events. Um, for a long time, we thought we want to be up in the Cable, Hayward, Wisconsin area. We have some good friends that have a place up there. But I think now we're, we're reconsidering that, um, want to be closer here. We want to be in a lake. Um, that's just something that's been important to Manny and I. I grew up on, on water. We want to create that in a lake. Manny's big about creating a legacy in a place where our kids will always want to come back to. For her, it's always been about family. Uh, and so I think we're working on that. Hopefully that'll play out in the next couple of years. Um, after that, I'm not sure. You know, I think uh, we hope to travel, continue to travel. Uh, I think there's some great things that we, we can still do here in this region. Uh, so I think um, her and I, you know, would love that strange, funny story. So she said the other night, and Mandy knows Nancy well, Dobson. She's like, God, I'd love to buy scoops from Nancy and Joe when they're ready to, to sell. <laughs> what a I great mean, gig, right? I mean, literally. So we grew up in West Mankato. So Mandy, when we were growing up, the kids were young. She's like, and she was at home for a period of time. And she's like, uh, can I, I, I want to buy DQ West. Like that, that to me would the be galley family. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, obviously that, that hasn't happened. But the point is, I think what Nancy shared about scoops uh, and seeing people at those moments, like why wouldn't you want to be associated with that? And so, uh, hard to be pissed off when you're eating ice cream. Yeah, I mean, no think doubt about the clientele. Absolutely, you get, kids and families, lake life. I mean, yeah. like, how does it get any better than that in Minnesota? So, um, we'll see. You know, yeah. I think time will tell on where our kids go and sure. um, how do we chase them, and um, time will tell. You got a good financial advisor. Everything <laughs> figured out on that end. If you need any referrals, West and I could probably. Yeah, I, I tell you, yeah. uh, no. Um, Still searching. You know, it's the the beauty about my story is. I know what it's like when things don't go perfectly well. So I think sometimes people get intimidated by having a conversation, you know, with a financial advisor or somebody that's trying to help them navigate their financial world. And the reality is, and I just was having this Zoom call with a couple in the cities uh, that came to me as a referral, and you could tell they were reluctant. And he even admitted, he's like, you know, I'm embarrassed. This is where we're at this point in life. And I'm like, don't be embarrassed. I said, the fact you're having a conversation is everything because it means you've gotten over whatever you think. And I said, ultimately you still have plenty of time to influence your outcome. So for us, and the reason I'm just sharing that about being a finding good financial advisor is good is defined differently, but, but I get it. Like I, I understand, like our team realizes what can go right, what can go wrong. Ultimately what we're trying to do is say, you're here now, what do we influence and how can we help you get there? And, um, and you know, that's, that's the more, most important part, I always say to, to Mandy, unless you're willing to be vulnerable, you, you can't be relatable. And I think that's hard for a lot of us because we live in a really tough world sometimes. Right. Here I am two-fisting. I, I went for wine. I saw the <laughs> bourbon. I felt confused. No one's going to stop you. Well, I'm going to jump. Move. I'm going to jump back for a hot second because I I, I got to ask you a couple questions. This, these were submitted, fans submitted questions oh, for uh, for David Witten. But do you have a middle name, by the way, David? Michael. Michael makes everyone. Remember, remember David I talked David Michael Wittenberg. Yes, I, I, yes, you did. I was you did. That really strange story earlier about how I went by Michael and then David and then yeah. Witt and. 
Well, now people know why I'm just always confused. So these are all related to hockey, uh, hockey day, Minnesota. They were fan submitted questions. Uh, you might be able to figure out the fan eventually here. Uh, the first one is and, and this is, uh, you explain how about that? Right. Roadrunner. Does that mean anything <laughs> to you? Could you explain possibly what that means in relation, in relation to uh, hockey? I forget, day, I forget, you know what? I think the brain works in mysterious ways. And I'm not saying like disease, but I mean, when you go through tons of hockey day brought everything like anything of that magnitude roadrunner stems from, I never, you, so you can never imagine what could happen in a volunteer capacity, but on a Tuesday night, maybe must've been a Tuesday night. We had some youth hockey games, super drunk person, we're not serving alcohol, by the way. Super drunk person shows up, uh, is literally obnoxious, watching his uh, family member, not his son, but like a nephew or something, at the game. I'm nowhere to, on scene. I mean, I'm in. I'm back behind planning on the rest of the week. And he throws. Um, this is long winded. So I, if you want me to cut to the chase, I will, but he throws something over the backside of the stadium and could have hurt somebody. So we have some nice, you know, volunteers that say, Hey, you know what, sir, this is a youth hockey game. Like you're obviously been overserved. Like, can you, can you please just leave? So they finally get him to leave. And as he's leaving, he's becoming even more and more confrontational to the point where we have some, some volunteers like a Danny Umhofer, great guy, not a small guy, uh, who's feeling very threatened. So we're on, we're all mic'd up, you know, just trying to stay connected. And, and he is like scared. I shouldn't say scared, threatened. Uh, and so I just take off running and, and, and you, I can get emotional. Um, some call me a little too sensitive, but when you challenge somebody that's volunteering and you're that idiot, then I'm pissed. So I, I take off running as fast as I can to get to the front of the stadium. And he's trying to get one of our guys to engage him in a fist fight, literally. And I come flying up and to the point where he, he quickly comes back and then he wants to lunge at me. He's like, Oh, you know, and he's trying to engage me. And I'm just like, listen, you don't want to embarrass yourself any further. And the police are coming and I'm going to recommend you get in that car. That's a safe car before you get arrested tonight. So Michelle, God love red, uh, coin me a roadrunner. She even gave me a nice t-shirt though. You call her red. That's yeah. awesome. Red. God love red. Red's good. Red's famous oh, in a amazing. good way. Yeah. Uh, good way. She, yeah. She has lots of nicknames. <laughs> this, this could go on for another hour. So Hold if you on. want to tune out, no, no, no it's okay. all good. Okay. okay. We, we only got two quick, uh, two more. And then if Wes has anything, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go from there. But, uh, dirty, <laughs> maternity, <laughs> maternities, uh, Mat- yeah. maternities, <laughs> Uh, do you guys ever get, uh, like stressed or anxious when you're in a large venue and you have to speak? Yeah, of course. Occasionally. Then I get up on, and then you just lights, camera, action turns on and so the reason why naked, amazing. (laughs) So, and I say this to the boys all the time because, you know, good or bad, I've tried to always put myself out there. That's just kind of who I am. I feel like you're not growing unless you're taking those little leaps of faith in some cases. We already talked about some major ones, but where I'm going with this is I still always get a little nervous to speak. I do. And I, I think it's an okay thing. Like even coming here, 
you, you want to do right by the circumstances. So we're having a 100-day out event at Chankaska. You I already talked to you, president of the Minnesota Wild, all these dignitaries, all our major sponsors, like a lot of it's people there. And I'm standing by the bar waiting for Michelle and I to go up. I think it was pre-go up to speak. And we're kind of, we're the, we're the speakers, like we're the co-chairs. We're going to, we're going to go up there. This is kind of like the first time they're going to hear from all of us. And I hadn't had a drink, uh, which isn't not a problem, but I was like super anxious, stressed and, and something came up and I'm like, I can't wait to have a dirty, and I meant to say <laughs> martini <laughs> with, with Michelle and Lindsay, it was Lindsay, Michelle and I, Missy was probably there because she was always our calming presence yeah. and it came out dirty maternity and they have yet to let that <laughs> literally, I mean, they laugh at me and, and truthfully I deserve to be like, they, yeah, my whole family laughs at me now. Um, Dirty Mark. Yeah, I just <laughs> that just shows you Maternity. how stressed. Yeah. Thankfully, I always look at it this way. Thank God I said it in a small group there versus get up on stage and, and say, say something even worse. I can't wait to yeah. maternity with like, all of you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Afterwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's great. It's good. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And the last one, uh, the fan submitted question um, happened to be the same person. Um, if you're willing to share, Zoolander, could you explain that one? Uh, so this person also, uh, this person also said, supposedly might get a little ticked off. Supposedly, uh, we all look like somebody, uh, in, in Lindsay, I think it was who thought I looked like, uh, um, Derek Zoolander. Yeah. Who's the, who's the actor? Oh, Ben Stiller. Thank you. Ben Stiller. Looked like Ben Stiller from Zoolander. And, um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah, we all get sensitive, and, and I can think of a lot of people I'd rather look like, but um, it is what it is. Oh, man. All right. Well, uh, did you figure out who the fan was who submitted these uh, topics? Any yeah. idea? Michelle Schuf, Red. No. Close. Lin- Lindsay Bacher. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Wesley, Warner, Otto, did you have anything else for this evening? No, I think... I think that's where we'll probably leave it. Okay, cool. Well, at the end of uh, every episode, folks, and I'm sure you've probably heard this before also, Dave, uh, we have the final five, um, but we call it the wind down brought to you by our friends at Chankaska. So uh, thank you so much uh, again to our sponsorship there. Um, You ready? Final five. I hope. All right. So the, the number one, I, I labeled it the economics of today. So basically, you know, economics, history, you studied it, you're in the financial world, uh, investments, all the like. Um, for those of us who are listening that want to bring some positive out of the current situation economically, what would you share with us in as simplistic terms you could um, of the positive? So what's going on now and what to look forward to? Sure. Uh, so America obviously has been around for quite some time. Um, we've endured some pretty tough periods of time. Uh, you know, most of us have no idea what the Great Depression means. Uh, no idea what a world war means. Um, but we have our own version, so to speak, of some of those stories. And we've always found a way as a society to overcome. And so from my perspective, yeah, we got some tough things in front of us, 
Um, but if, if anyone gets a chance, uh, regardless of what you, you think, uh, about anybody, Jamie Dimon was just actually the, one of the keynote speakers at the national economic forum. I have followed him. I know I'm, I'm nerd from banking background, but I think he's one of the most prevalent, prominent, incredible leaders in, in a world, in a time where we don't have many. And he said, for those of you who think, uh, things are so bad, and I'm paraphrasing, look what America stands for, right? So think about how big our economy is. Think about how every other place in the world wants to send their young people to our universities. Think about the diversity of our economic landscape. Look at what small businesses represent. Uh, Look at, you know, what we've been able to overcome when we want to come together. So I think... The reality is, not to steal a page from his speech, but there are so many things that America still wants. I mean, look at how many people still want to come here. Like, think about that. I always think about, so we have this immigration, illegal or not, but they want to come here. Why? It's the best story, so to speak, in the world. So how do we harvest, so to speak, that energy? How do we take advantage of it? So from my perspective, there always is hope because... Uh, the human spirit can find the best in everything. And as long as we continue to provide, you know, a meaningful way for people to get educated, um, have reasonable wages, uh, create an environment where people can take risks, uh, we'll, we'll overcome a lot of things. Um, we can't let, uh, you know, the, the kind of the, the loudest voice in the room to be the only voice or to let only that voice be heard. Uh, so uh, I do think our best days can be still ahead. Amen. I like it. Question number two. I feel like you kind of answered it maybe a little bit before early, early on in the episode, but I want to ask you again, just to clarify, Mankato's biggest need from your perspective. So, uh, is that too broad or do no, you want to narrow? No, it's not because, but I think the, the, so that can come, that can come in the a face of two parallel paths, maybe the best way to describe it. So one is you need to create a place that retains and attracts talent and visitors. So for me, it's all about assets. So you need to have great facilities. You need to have a great uh, programming area or activities that want people to stay here. Um, like one of the things I was thinking about as we were talking tonight is like, here we have these universities. Uh, and I know Denny's talked about the intern, you know, capital world, but how do we take and showcase and ask them where else do we need to invest? So for me, it's all about how do we invest in in assets that want people to stay here. So think about our young people at the university setting or people to visit here. And I think that we can showcase the university in in an incredible, university, showcase the community in an incredible way, but we need to continue to invest that way. Um, And I think sometimes we get a little short-sighted that way from from a municipality standpoint. The parallel path to that is um, how do we continue to challenge, uh, expect the best from our educational environment uh, and make that be a 
a positive thing, not a negative thing. So I always say some of the people that I trust the most, uh, respect the most, say be literally of the herd mentality. So when others are saying personal responsibility or accountability or, you know, we need to be, you know, whatever, that can not always play out well in, in, a, in an environment where, and I'm thinking about education. Um, we need to hold people accountable, but we should expect the best. And that means for everybody. And so I think that there's an opportunity we have there. But as a community, we're going to have some big choices to make because our community is short on quality facilities when it comes to education. You look around, whether you like it or not. Um, and I always say this to old people because I love old people. I mean, I do. But it's like, who's going to take care of you? you? You need young people here. And I know that because my dad right now in Rochester, in supposedly you know the medical kind of capital of the world, we don't have quality... Uh, because they have a shortage of talent. So I think about aging population, we need to, we need to win that race. And if we're going to win it, then we better be investing in the quality educational facilities um, that want people to have their kids educated here and want the university kids to stay here because they're everything for all of us as employers, but they're also everything for our aging population. So that, to me, is the big message I give to the city council and, and to the counties to say, hey, that's where you need to invest. Question number three. Since you've been around the financial world for a long time, <laughs> in the banking business, uh, in the banking business as well, um, it's, a, it's a fast quiz. Are you ready for it? Sure. So it's all in the same question. Who's on the $1 bill? Oh, God. See, that's so stupid. Is it? Yeah. George do Washington. You do you like money? <laughs> Who's on the $5 bill? Abraham Lincoln? Who's in the $10 bill? Uh, $10. Is it Thomas Jefferson? <laughs> Alexander Hamilton. Who's on the second. $20 bill? <laughs> I don't even know. Jackson. Who's, ah. on, who's on the $50 bill? I, I never see those, so we'd have to ask somebody like that, that has cash all the time. <laughs> Grant, and who's on the hundred dollar bill? You better get this one. Come on now. There's rap songs about it. You love rap. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you guess? <laughs> I don't know. Uh hundred dollar bill. No idea. Benjamin Franklin. Oh yeah. Benny's. Yeah. Show me the Benny's. Uh you did get Thomas Jefferson. He's on the two dollar bill, which is fun. Uh when I go to Mexico, myself and my brother. How actually, bad is it that I have no idea what those are? Well, uh, We've, we've interviewed it's, it's two surpri- bankers before you. Uh, I suppose you were a teller, though, when you were a kid. So I guess he was a teller. That's, that's like, fair game. I didn't have it till later, yeah. but I'm like, I got to ask him. I now. saw a lot of cash. You know, it's funny. So I remember seeing like bricks. I always call them bricks. Like, see, watch movies where they steal money. And I never thought, but I would see that. Like, you know, because I was a commercial teller. So we'd have like, you know, oh, yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars at one time fun fact i was a teller too see yeah say so you know exactly what i'm talking about your i was hands, not i was just obsessed your with hands like would that. get really yeah. dirty but the reality is that's a lot of cash but you know what it seemed like paper it was mindless yeah. uh it you'd even think of it as cash but sure i'm still am really embarrassed that i had no idea about that so i apologize so, that's why it was so easy to just stuff in the backpack right <laughs> <laughs> uh two dollar bills fun fact like i was saying uh bringing those to mexico or on vacation 
you know, at like the bars down there and the all inclusives, they never see $2 bills. So my brother Andy would go to the bank and get up instead of $1 bills, he'd bring in tip as we go, he'd bring $2 bills. And a lot of times I think they're fake because uh, they rarely see them, but they're getting two bucks. So anyway, Thomas Jefferson, good stuff. Question number four, this one's labeled tattoo. So uh, you don't get the location. It's a tramp stamp. But if you could choose one phrase to be on your tramp stamp. Let's not limit them to a phrase. Let's give them an image. 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 You're right. You're right. Image or phrase on the lower part of your back tramp stamp for Dave. What would that be? It's really for Mandy. Yeah, it's, it's going to be on yeah, you. You have to answer Mandy. it because it's for Mandy. Okay. Yeah. It's just for your wife. You know, this, oh my gosh, I can't even believe I'm being asked be. this question. And Maybe it's your face. Nothing but professional here. On yeah, I know. Uh, I got to think about that. Can you go to the, do you have five? We do have five. Okay. Yep. I got to, I got to think be about a funny this. funny juxtaposition. Um, five. <laughs> five. Five is genuinely deep. Four is shallow as hell. Uh, yeah, it'd be funny. Uh, Uh, can i ask just a strange so before we get to five so i've listened to a few of these see uh so i'm always wondering what i can figure out what drives the questions for the nancy dobson denny dotson uh charlie you know uh, all the way down the line and yet i'm sitting here going hmm like What's the mental behind? Yeah, I know. The final five is all him. I don't, I never take credit for it because usually I write it. I don't write them pre episode. I write them, it's either right in the parking lot below OMG here, uh, or usually they're in the episode or shortly a few minutes before. So, no, because there's there's always like one that's a repeat and then the other ones are like, I just feel inspired to ask certain things as we go. Um, so that's just how it goes. the was for the tramp stamp. I think that's what David's getting. Be, well, because... Uh, very much so, I, actually. I, I think it's because, honestly, the inspiration was, you know, Dave's in a, a, a pretty, and not that saying that you are, but like, you know, you're pretty kind of straight laced business, investing, Very, finances, all yeah. those things. So got to throw the trans, tramp stamp thing at him. That's well, why right? it's, not like, sense, it's not like actually. we're interviewing a, a tattoo artist. It, like that, it just makes so much <laughs> sense. <laughs> Witty. Gotta have, thought, we got to ask the way left field I thought question. maybe he'd pivot to if you were a boat guy and you wanted to name your boat, <laughs> what would you name it? Like that would have been a. Did you have an answer for that? Uh, you were prepared for it. No, See, I don't no, want I'm, you to I'm just trying to pivot it to a more likes, like professional or reasonable question. This he, is he a professional question. question. <laughs> he likes to ask what kind of tree you would be. That's normally the, ah. the other go-to. If you cedar. could be any tree, you and then why? Cedar. They're beautiful. Have you, yeah, so and they if you, smell delicious. If you go... <laughs> I'm always amazed that people like have an answer and then have a reasoning for it. I'm like, oh well, God. if you've ever been to like the Redwood <laughs> Forest or coconut Sequoia tree. or, or if you go to, so Vancouver Island, uh, man and I on one of our trips, Bluey used to go up there recruiting all the time. And you know, I'm, I'm friends with Bluey and he said, you got to one time, if you ever get a chance, go to Vancouver. So we did, uh, take the ferry over to Vancouver Island. And then we took, uh, the took a rental car and drove up to Tofino. But one thing you realize quickly is, I mean, you want to talk about like topography, I don't know, like just dream world. So here you are, uh, you know, in, in this beautiful waterway, you go to an island, 
you go over to this mountain pass and you got this cedar, one of the oldest, largest cedar forests in the world is on this island. It, it's literally one of the most breathtaking places. So when you asked about a tree, I immediately thought like when I was a kid, we went to Redwood Forest in California, mm-hmm. sequoia trees too. But the cedar, the cedar trees, these massive ancient cedar trees were like, you could tell only God could create something like this. It's like just uh, unbelievable. It's beautiful. So it's just, so this that, isn't getting so you out of your that, tramp stamp yeah, question. That, is, no, that is my. No, it's not. I have no idea how then to I'm gonna, Then I'm going to pick it for you. You've seen those minivans that has your family oh, characters in the back window. <laughs> <laughs> I think your tram stamp is you, Mandy, and Jack, and Parker. Parker, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. that it is. Okay. It's all of you guys yeah. on the back, yeah. on your back. I don't know yeah. why you'd put it Our on your back. Our sponsors really appreciate this, Aaron. I'm just glad you never let them off the hook. Hey, <laughs> you know. I have no they, idea why you digress they, with they me, agree but hey, to this. you got to be known for something. Oh, I love it. All right. Well, I picked I picked his tramp stamp. So anybody that's in the uh, tattoo world here in Mankato, we're going to make that happen. Uh, <laughs> uh, question number five is message. We're going to bring it back to a more serious tone. Uh, message is something we've repeated for a really long time. Because it's it's important, and I and I, I do feel like you have a lot of wisdom in you, and I and obviously it comes a lot from the people you've talked to, Dave, throughout your life, and where you've grown up, and your own parents and whatnot. But from the lessons of one eight two holding company to where you are now now in Norwest, and you know just the culmination. But it's message. It's if tonight is your last night on the floating orb in the sky, we call Earth, right? What is that message to Mandy, you know, Jack and Parker? What is the message to Wes and I, everybody you've influenced in this community? And, and what would you leave us with? Well, I think it comes down to a pretty simple premise, which is you got to find something you're passionate about and do it. Take that leap of faith and do it. Embrace it. And the other, the other piece to that, though, is that's not everything, which means find a way to serve. Because ultimately, I believe we are put on this earth to serve others. And whether we get a chance to do that while we're in the professional world or retirement world or in between, I think those that are the most humble and leave this place better than it was in a grateful way are those that serve others. I love it. Very good. Amen. As I like to say often. Wesley? I think that's a good spot to leave it in. Thank you, David, for coming on the show. Hey, my pleasure. Like I said, uh, and I shared with both of these guys, uh, there are so many great stories in this community. Um, and I know you've asked others and they've chosen to, to defer or pass. I only hope that they do come on because whether it's the, the Melissa Bradleys of the world or Tony French, who's the most passionate main kid. I mean, Napa Valley Midwest, he says it to, to anyone he'll, that'll listen to. There are so many great stories that I think need to be shared. The Davis, there's just, there's so many people that I hope will come on here only because people will love to hear what, what, what it is about their background or their story. And we all learn from somebody else. So I'm grateful. Certainly didn't deserve to be here. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I do hope somebody asks you to. So I, I would love to see someone come on here that actually turns the table and says, okay, we're going to start asking you two questions because I think that would be fun too because you guys have some amazing stories that can be shared. We'll I'd be down for that. Absolutely. We've had some guests that have turned, turned it back on us and we have to remind them, hey, we host this show, <laughs> one of which was Lisa County. Uh, but she's used by to being nature, on the By her nature, Correct. she's out. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much, uh, folks, for listening to the Get Deep Podcast and joining us tonight with Dave Wittenberg. 
surely appreciate your time. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please uh, share it with somebody else. Give us a five-star rating if you're uh, feeling feeling frisky to do so, if you will. And if you do have a suggestion of a guest that we haven't thought about or had on yet, please message Wes or myself. We'd sure as heck like to take that into uh, consideration. Have a great night.